Hello and welcome to another episode of the Uncommon Energy Podcast. On this week's episode, we'll be chatting about the North American International Championships registration, which came and went in about three seconds, three different times. Uh, We'll chat about all the different opinions people had regarding that and just how it all broke down. We'll talk about a cheating incident, another weekend, another cheating incident caught on stream in the Pokemon TCG. This one taking place over in Malmo regionals this past weekend. We'll of course have everyone's favorite segment, guess that flavor text. And then we'll be going over the results from the Malmo regional championships and the Hartford regional championships. My name is Chip Ritchie in a uh, different location than normal. I'm at the beach with my family for a few days. And Azul in his uh, good old normal spot joining me as well. Azul, what's going on? How we doing, man? Doing all right. Just got back from Hartford where I got uh, another winning in not going my way. I didn't lose this time, but I did tie. So I guess that means hopefully if I get a winning in at the next one, Milwaukee, it'll be a win. I went from loss to tie. If I can improve a little bit better and get the get the dub maybe on a winning in Milwaukee, we'll have to wait and see. But yeah, another top 16, so no championship points gained for me um, because I did hit my best finish limit. And uh, someone mentioned, someone asked on the, the comment section last week, because we mentioned the best finish limit, um, what the best finish limit is. So basically, best finish limit applies to League Cups, League Challenges, and Regionals. They all have their separate best finish limits for Cups and Challenges. For this season, it's a best finish limit of two. For Regionals and Special Events, it's a best finish limit of six. And International Championships have always been a best finish limit of four, I think, always, which there's yeah, four you so. can go to. So, um, But basically, that means, like, let's say you went to eight Regionals and <clears throat> you placed well enough to get CP at all the Regionals. They would just take your six best placements, and those would count towards your uh invite for the world championships that season so even if you got even if you won eight uh regionals in a season only six of them what you'd get points for although that's plenty of points to get your (laughs) plenty of points to get your invite and probably push for like a top 16 slot or whatever depending on what region you're from so that's like how best finish limits work so yeah i did not i got zero championship points for getting top 16 um but uh still had a fun weekend ran it back with the lost box kyogre uh, changed up the list a little bit. It definitely felt a little bit better than from Portland. And uh, yeah, I had a pretty good time. Uh, overall, it was a fun event. Uh, yeah, Hartford's, I feel like, is always like a pretty well event, a pretty good event. And the event in general was ran super well. I feel it was the best event, the best ran event all year, I think, so far. But got a couple left to, to see how they do. So I don't think, <laughs> I don't think Fresno will be competing for that slot, but Milwaukee might have a shot. Yeah, it was a pretty good weekend in Hartford for me, too. I was doing the, like, analyst lounge slash hosting, which was a lot of fun. Um, Got to chat with some people, do some interviews. I did, like, a retrospective during one of the rounds with Jose Marrero, who is the defending Hartford regional champion. And we, like, chatted about his Rayquaza GX Ho-Oh deck that he won that tournament with back in 2019. So that was kind of fun to, like, take a little leap back and do that we did a caster battle which was the base through fossil format so it was like the very first pokemon format which was pretty fun we did that one in day one um and yeah overall it was like a good weekend had some pretty funny like good moments on the stream too so i feel like overall it was a pretty solid show i'd actually never been to the hartford regionals before so it was my first time there um but yeah, I felt like it ran pretty well as well from our end, from what I could tell. Pretty much every round, it seems like, at least during day one, 
um, like four or five of the rounds had 20 plus minute time extensions going past the end of the round. So, I mean, you think about how well the tournament was run and like we were out of there by eight o'clock. If, you know, a few less of those really long judge calls don't happen, we're out of there by like 730, maybe even seven o'clock in a different world, you know? Yeah, definitely. And actually... Speaking to how big like the the tournaments are kind of, I feel like that's like kind of something that almost always comes up is going to be like one of those long time extensions. Um, and actually, with our first it's topic, just, it's part of it, right? Yeah. Like, I mean, it's going to happen. And with that, uh, and actually, this is maybe one of the reasons. And actually, we're, with our topic, first topic, going to be talking about NAIC. One thing that I've uh, kind of talked about recently on my stream a little bit, um, and it's kind of been brought up just because there was a lack of it at EUIC, is like potting tournaments. Uh, and for those of you that don't know, at NAIC and NAIC only so far, they will split the tournament, the, the players who are playing at NAIC into two groups, the orange pod and the blue pod. And they've been doing this all the way back since uh, U.S. Nationals times. But this is the only tournament they've ever done it at. And even back then, U.S. Nationals um, was like sub a thousand players multiple times where they did this but now even when regionals are getting to you know a thousand plus players and we saw euic getting to uh, 1500 players the biggest non-japan tournament ever not just based on masters division players but kind of overall um, now we're going to naic again which we i think everyone assume is going to be potted but i think the question really is why don't they pod some of these big regionals or the other ic's because like that's one of those things that would be kind of not as big of a deal, right? Like if one pod has a 20 minute time extension, the other pod can still start their next round. Um, and then if that pod ends up with a 20 minutes time extension, then the other pod can still can like go catch up, right? Or like theoretically the pods could get done mm -hmm. uh, sooner. And overall, like the rounds would just be over, just more time efficient, right? Like it would just kind of save time overall. Um, if there was a, if it was a hassle in one of the pods, it wouldn't hold up the whole tournament. Um, and it, as the day goes on back and forth, it would theoretically end up with a more efficient tournament uh and the tournament would be done sooner which is it has to be the assumption as why they would even do that to begin with and i think it's pretty much proven that splitting up the tournament into pods does make the tournament run smoother because magic does it and anything magic does on like a competitive integrity level like this i feel like is always just correct they've been doing it longer at a higher level of competitive integrity than the pokemon tcg and we're always kind of playing catch up to them and kind of copying things magic has already done so if magic does it i really don't see a reason that we aren't doing it with thousand player 800 player plus regionals as well as all the ic's that have that same number of uh competitors yeah i i have to wonder the like pros and cons right because like anytime you do um there there's like positives and negatives to each type of system right um so I like I wonder what the like cons list looks like that leads to them not doing it at regionals level. Like, does it require more staff? Does that make things a little more difficult? I mean, theoretically, you need a different head judge for each pod. Right. And then still a head judge for the whole tournament or something along those lines, I think. Um, so, yeah, I don't really know. I mean, it's obviously not a size thing. And if they haven't done it at EUIC, you know, is there a world where they don't do it in NAIC? I mean, I would say probably not. They did it last year, right? And they've done it every year prior. So, like, we haven't been given a reason to think it would be any different. But, I mean, they pretty successfully have run. I, I think Orlando went pretty well. I wasn't at EUIC, so I don't know exactly, like, uh, I know there was, like, some issues with the tournament. We talked about the table numbers yeah. <laughs> whenever you got back, how that was, like, absolutely a mess. But, I mean, did you guys get out of there, like, way later than normal? Or was it still overall you guys were getting out of there by, like, 9 o'clock-ish? If I remember correctly, I think it was probably around 9 o'clock that we got out of EUIC. I don't remember. It was maybe closer to 10. Yeah. It doesn't. It definitely didn't feel as efficiently ran 
as NAIC. Uh, NAIC always kind of feels like the most efficiently ran tournament of that size. Although I think we definitely have, um, where, where did we just come from? Hartford is definitely competing for that with how many players we had there and how well that tournament ran overall. Like you said, despite the 20 minute time extensions, almost like every single round. And one reason that probably the tournament felt a little bit smoother to me than maybe some is because I was playing Lost Box. So most of my rounds were getting into time or pretty close to time uh, pretty much every yeah. single time. So. so even if there's a time extension, you're playing your plus three turns, which can take like five, seven, ten minutes. And then it's like you feel like there's only a 10 minute break between rounds, which is like probably yeah. about the perfect amount of time between rounds to like take a second, collect yourself and then get into the next one. Right. Yeah, definitely. So, yeah, I, would, I just don't understand like the reason I mean, the reason that they've had to have pod, potted U.S. Nationals and NASC in the past is because they have to make they have to think it runs the tournament more efficiently. Right. Like the whole system, they think it runs more efficiently because they do that. Because Otherwise, there's more, and because there's more people, too. Yeah, right? Like, right. Otherwise, yeah. why would you do it? Right. Um, and then I think I mean, magic does it. Like I said, magic, they're just kind of, they've been doing it longer on like a higher level competitive integrity for a while. Um, it's not to say that like Pokemon doesn't do anything right, but like. We, we end up copying magic a lot right and so that kind of shows that magic is kind of already ahead of the game on that stuff um but the tournaments are getting as big or bigger than naic's have been before in the case of like euic and then even these regional tournaments are as big as some ic's or nationals have been in the past so the one thing i have heard is that the tournament software is really tricky to make work to have that to like finagle it to like have two separate tournaments come together as one tournament so i have heard, yeah, that. heard that too uh so that makes you think that makes you wonder if pem would probably have been able to handle that potting the tournament really easily and really well before they scrapped it. That's probably one of the things that was on their checklist to like have. (laughs) I don't think them could handle anything easily. (laughs) Um, That's probably one of the things that was on their checklist to make PEM do right. Like they were probably like, they want PEM to be able to do that, but that's just, there's no excuse. Like if it makes the tournaments run better and faster, uh, we shouldn't only be doing NASC because that's where the people who have done it consistently uh, the tournament they go to, right? That's why maybe it's not done at EUIC. That's why it's not done at these re- huge regionals because they're they're not really run by the same people, right? The regionals are staffed by uh, regional TOs in regions, um, and then ICs are like more so taken control of by TPCI, right? Which does kind of beg the question why EUIC wouldn't get potted, but seems like pods make tournaments run more efficiently at well, was such the a large... was EUIC not done by Tournament Center? Oh, you might be right, actually. Yeah, you might be right. And then, yeah, uh, uh, LAIC is done by Copag. I'm pretty sure NAIC and Worlds are the only tournaments actually run by TPCI. Mm, okay, okay. TPC probably, TPCI probably just has more influence on the other ones as far as, like, registration and everything goes, though, still. Um... And even, well, I guess, actually, even, like, in London last year for Worlds, was did Tournament Center run that? Maybe. I don't know. Did they? I, I don't know. I wasn't there for that one. <laughs> I have no clue. Let's go with maybe. Um, <laughs> but I think the biggest thing is that it, it, like I said, once again, Magic does it. Magic doesn't do anything for no reason. They've been doing it for longer uh, with this level of competitive integrity. Uh, Pokemon does it at one tournament, so they seem to think it. They seem to think it makes that tournament or tournaments of certain sizes run smoother by potting the tournament. They just need to figure it out and make it so these regionals. And these other ICs of like the size of LAIC and EUIC, OCIC, I guess you maybe don't need it. Um, but well, the next thing we're going to talk about is like maybe OCIC could be that much bigger and would need it if there was more registration slots. But you've always said, or we'll get into that in a second. Uh, but yeah, that's what I was saying. Like, that's what I always wanted to bring up before we got into the rest of what we're going to talk about with NAIC is yeah, it feels like potting should be started, start happening in these, these North American regionals, some of the European regionals, it seems like. And then uh EUIC potentially LAIC as well because these tournaments are just as big as NAIC in terms of numbers and um if that makes the tournament run smoother I don't see why we're not doing it right 
Yeah, I mean, I think that it's probably pretty low on my list of things that I would consider a priority. Like, but it seems like it shouldn't be. It seems like it shouldn't be hard, right? Like, it seems like it shouldn't be hard well, to but incorporate. It, it, from your point of view, right? But like, you don't know the ins and outs. I mean, theoretically, right? They do it at NAIC, so like, why can't they do it elsewhere? Yeah, exactly. But there has to be a reason they haven't, right? Yeah, it's probably because like, Tom sucks and Pem was worse. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> who knows? That's probably who knows? why. Um, yeah, let's move on. Continue to talk about NAIC. We're talking NAIC registration. Um, it did go up last week. I did get in on the first wave, so I was safe pretty quickly. Um, yeah, Zul did not have a free stipend spot this time I did like not. normal. Yeah, which is one of the things we're going to kind of talk Gotta about. Get your here. weight up in quarter three, bro. <laughs> Dude, I was struggling, man. Um, <laughs> Yeah, if UIC had gone a little bit better, I was I was pretty close actually with a couple yeah. couple placements up at UIC. Um, but yeah, registration went up last week and it went it went by super fast, right? There was three waves, two on the seventeenth, one on the eighteenth, um, different times. So you know, trying to get some flexibility for other people to try and register. Why they don't do it on like a well, it would be kind of weird to do it on a weekend if there's tournaments ran on weekends as well. So I guess during the weekdays maybe it does make a little bit more sense. Um, but yeah, a lot of people had a lot of takes and a lot of people were disgruntled and frustrated with how fast registration went by a lot of people who would normally be playing at these this kind of tournament are not going to be playing at this tournament this this time around because yeah because pretty so much spots. yeah and pretty much like it was selling out instantly every yeah. single time three waves all three waves every single spot was gone within the first seconds of it coming out now there fast. was like some stuff people could do like where the way it works is like you at, at seven o'clock say it's at seven o'clock you go to the website click a couple boxes scroll down click pay and then it takes you to the payment page and if you don't you have 15 minutes your spot is held for 15 minutes if you don't pay within those 15 minutes that ticket that spot gets released back out into the pool so yep. pretty much every spot was selling out instantly and then people were just left sitting there like waiting to refresh at 7 15 and then they refresh at 7 15 or like seven you know 15 and 30 seconds or whatever right like refresh as soon as possible at 7 15 to try to get some of the spots that came back out into the pool but those are like pretty much every single wave it was selling out instantly at 7 and 7 15 whatever the on the hour and then at the 15 minute mark as well um i think i saw someone because... got in like 20 minutes after registration which doesn't make a ton of sense because like if someone originally registered at like seven uh at seven and 10 seconds. And then, you know, 15 minutes later from that, you know, their spot opened back up. Did someone like get in on that? And then like, I don't even know how that worked. I don't know how someone got in at like 20 minutes after the yeah. registration mark happened, but I saw like someone, people getting in at like weird times. that don't really make a ton of sense. Yeah. I think they tried some weird like queuing system where it was like, just because you refreshed and got in there right at time, it wasn't like a perfect lot. I think they tried like a mix of like a, um first come first serve and then like also tried to have like a random element in there as well from what i understand from like what they were tweeting or what mm -hmm. i was seeing on twitter um so like some people would refresh right at seven uh seven o'clock in one second and then like go through do all the stuff and then they would get kicked back to the end of the line and be like nope sorry try again and they yeah. have to go try again um yeah, Arcanine tweeted out a bunch of weird graphs and stuff and I was like I have no idea what this means. <laughs> yeah, I I didn't really look too much into them. It it doesn't look like digestible information to be <laughs> yeah. honest. Like just at a quick glance, so I was like 
I'll leave Jake Gearhart to like analyze and figure out what's going on with these graphs because I'm not messing with it. All right, Jake, based um, on those graphs, what is the optimal <laughs> secondary strategy to refresh? If you don't get it on that first refresh, where do we go from yeah. there? <laughs> um, leak the no, he probably doesn't want to leak the strat, dude. Oh, like true, true. <laughs> Save it for yourself. That that makes sense. I appreciate I I mean, I respect the competitive. Respect, yeah. Respect. Has that competitive edge, you may as well utilize it um so a lot of people were frustrated obviously a lot of people didn't make it a lot of people who are like even like you know potential top competitors regional champions of the past i don't know for sure i i just saw a lot of people whiff right so yeah a lot of people who are like even considered yeah. top competitors at you know regional to regional whatever it might be you know didn't quite uh make it in so this kind of sparked the and then so real quick i do also say like it's a lot of people it's not even like old head people that we're used to seeing like people we've seen for years and years there was like also people who like I don't recognize their name, but I'm seeing it on Twitter. It's like I needed top, you know, 256 at this tournament to get my world's invite. Yeah, right. Yeah. And it's, so there, there's like a ton of people. Oh, there's it's a like, lot of people. We could have hit 3K, to, I think. I think we could have hit 3K. I think so. Well, it's like, and if if it was uncapped and registration was left open for like a week or two weeks, you have to wonder how big it could have gotten. Yeah. Right. Like, I mean, are we seeing like a 4K tournament? 5K mm. maybe? I don't know. That's a lot. Probably not maybe. something that big, but um i think like it's an easy 3k yeah definitely so a lot of it a lot of it was a li little bit less discussion and more just more just people being frustrated with the the way the system is currently kind of throwing out ideas as where why they think there could be improvements or what improvements there could be at some but it was less of a discussion and more like this is bad should be doing this kind of kind of things right um where people like trying to like voice their opinion on what they think would be a better system to get players into NAIC. Um, and I think there was some, like, actually, like, the first time in a while that I've seen that many, I think, just kind of bad takes <laughs> on Twitter. Um, like, people were talking the about... first time in a while you've seen bad takes well, on Twitter? that many, that many. It was like, it was like 75, <laughs> I feel like it's usually like 25% bad the first takes. time that day you saw some bad, like... <laughs> no, it was like 25%, it's usually like 25% bad takes, but I feel like this time it was like 75% bad takes. Like, it flipped. Um, but the, one of the ones that came up, of course, is like kind of what Japan does with a lottery system where, you know, everyone can register for a chance to get a spot in the tournament. Um, but I'm not a huge fan of the idea of the lottery system at all. Personally, yeah. I think people should be careful what they wish for, you know, like it might seem like the grass is always greener on the other side, right? You, you always like see the system we have and be like, why don't we do the way they do things over there? But I think the way they do things over there, there's tons of problems with it. Right. Yeah. Um, best of one. because I mean, it's just going to be tough. <laughs> yeah. Best of one. I, I'm meaning like the tournament registration process. Yeah, I know. Right? I know. I know. Um, and one thing I know, like when we've talked about this before, one thing that you've brought up is like, um, registering for a spot in the lottery is a lot less committal than like having to pay and register right then right so like someone yeah. might be like you know i might want to go to naic i'm gonna throw my name into the lottery yeah uh, i think I'll, because, you'd, have a, you'd have a like, lot of those a chance. i, I want to at least keep the option open to go to naic and then that person gets a spot but then they didn't really want to go or they're not really planning to go. They just wanted the the option open. So I think it gets a little messy maybe with some of that stuff going on. I think that um, is a, a factor. Whereas when the... you're, whenever you're like having people pay right away when they sign up, like yeah. you're, you're having to be committed. Like you're paying, you're saying, okay, I'm going to this tournament when I'm registering. Yeah, there'll be a little bit of that still, right? There's probably some people who weren't 100% sure if they go to NIC um or like not even very committed at all but they're like you know i got the extra money to keep my option open of wanting to go 
Um, but it's definitely a bigger commitment to, you know, pay the $60 up front and wake up at like, well, for me, 6 a.m. You have to be like, all right, I got to wake up at 6 a.m., pay 60 bucks. And I'm probably not even going to go, to be honest. <laughs> but like, I'm going to go ahead and go through this whole process, right? Um, so there'll definitely still be some people who do that, right? Who do that, who commit the, the time, commit the money, and then still at the end of the day, be like, eh, I'm not going to go anyways. Uh, but there would be more, I think a lot more if it was a lottery system because it's like, well... I have no chance if I don't do this now. And it's like, it cost, it, it cost me nothing. Literally like there's like the lottery registration is opening. You're like, okay, go put in my info and that's it. You don't have to be there at a specific time. Don't have to commit payment. Um, right. It's just like, you'll have so many more people not show up to tournaments who get one of the lottery spots. So I really don't like the lottery system. And I think that's like the biggest flaw. So just have a lot of no shows, a lot higher percentage of no shows than we currently do with this system. Yeah. And I think like, I would say probably most players, I've heard very little about this, I should say, admittedly, but, like, from what I've heard, like, people don't love the system over there in Japan either. Like, top yeah. players, like, really good players don't get spots in tournaments all the time. Yeah, they right? just have, like, the protected... They have the Elite Four, so there's, like, four players who are, like, protected to pretty much go to whatever they want, I want to say. Don't don't uh, quote me on that. And, like, tournament players who do well at previous big tournaments get to go to the next big tournament, I'm pretty sure, as well. But it's not a lot mm. of players, right? There's a lot of players trying to play in their tournaments. Yeah, I mean, it's like 3K spots, and there's like 10K people trying to, yeah. to get a lottery spot. So it's pretty high up there. Um, but it's one of the suggestions I saw was like uh, requiring people to have played or participated or earned championship points at some point in the season to register, or at least like giving preferential registration to those people, people who are like actively currently playing the game, as opposed to like people who currently haven't played a game or a tournament all season um having an equal chance as people who are like you know just a few points away from their invite right and yeah. that's honestly it's kind of similar to uh for u.s nationals for a long time you had to have a few play points to it only happened for like couple, it was like two or three years in a row i think that happened. really okay yeah, it wasn't but yeah so, so there are like there's we always talk about championship points but you also do earn play points at all these tournaments Nothing. for every tournament you go to either a local or regionals or even if you just go to pokemon league um, anywhere they point. take down your pop ID, you get some amount of play points for participating. And I think for a while you needed to have like 12 play points on the year and then they dropped it down the next year to like five. Yeah. And then I think the last year they did it, it was even like just like four play points, which is just like going to four weeks of league or I literally going to like think, one league cup or something like that. I think it maybe started at one or ended at one because I remember uh a friend wanted to go to nationals like there's a play point thing it's like okay i'll just go to my league or something for a, a like one tournament or something and that's it and i'll be able to go to nationals yeah um what was i going to say on that as well i was going to follow up with something but they got that. rid of that completely yeah. Oh, like, yeah. th that's not something that's been a thing i think since like 20 i think since ics became a thing i think in it like yeah, yeah, I mean, nationals 2016 was maybe the last year that was a thing i'm not 100 percent sure someone else might know better yeah that would make sense they like started up around 2013 2014 and then got rid of it as we switched over to the new system so that make a lot of sense. Yeah, the only thing that play points used to do for you is there used to be a player of the year thing where the person with the most play points, I think they would get like a case of every set that next season or something like that. I think. Yeah, well, also, I think that didn't the top X number of people in play points get like some promo cards and stuff mailed to them? Or if you earned a certain amount, like they Maybe, mailed people those yeah, like I remember those. hollow energy cards yeah. and stuff. And then, like, the higher-up people got mailed stuff, like the Hypnotoxic Lasers or the Crushing Hammers. Like, those are some of the exclusive play crosshatch promos, right? I have, yeah, I have no idea how you got those. I remember getting them. I didn't know what you – I don't remember no, knowing what you had to do. But yeah, it would be cool if they did something with play points again as, as far as that goes because they're just kind of pointless, right? They don't do anything. It's just kind of a metric to show. But you can go on, like, the leaderboards, and instead of championship points, you can look at players with the most play points. 
but yeah it's usually just like the top players because they just like go to everything um but they don't really do anything so i don't know why they exist anymore to be honest i guess it is a way to like kind of but it doesn't like track anything because you can just see all the events someone goes to. Like it's, it's not even like a tracking system. You got to find the person with the best like play point to championship point ratio, right? Yeah, that's, that's the biggest. That's, that's the big flex right there. That's a big flex. You're gonna be yeah. The that's, highest amount of points for the least amount of tournaments. Yeah, that that is like the only thing it actually really does. It shows your kind of uh, not consistency, but like yeah, your overall yeah your play point to championship point ratio. Like that shows like your your expected value tournament to tournament. Of course, you could just have like one person show up to one regional win it and not show up again. So you'd have to like put like, a minimum yeah, on yeah, it, yeah. <laughs> like minimum maybe like five <laughs> major tournaments or something. Um, but yeah, that's basically all they do. But it'd be cool for them to do something again, like the player. Like I mean, it's not, obviously not they're not the player of the year in terms of competing, but going to the most events or whatever. I don't know, just do something with it. Maybe some kind of rewards for having play points. Um, like you said, like in the back in the day, they had the lasers, the hypnotoxic laser stuff. I don't, I don't know if it was attached to that, but yeah, but yeah, that is such yeah, a weird. It's a little before my time, so I don't know a hundred percent, but I feel like it had something to do with that. Yeah, but I think the, I don't hate. I think a lot of people like worded and had very little thought process through some of the stuff they were saying before they tweeted it, because a lot of people did a lot of follow up tweets, kind of clarifying kind of what they meant, and then it made a little bit more sense. But yeah, the idea of, uh. It definitely is does suck, right? If you have like 300 championship points, you max out your league cups, you max out your league challenges, and you're like, all right, I'm gonna go to NAIC and get my 50 points, and then you just miss miss registration. That definitely sucks. And I think I do feel like, and I've kind of felt like this a while. I do think there should be some preferential treatment for um, for players within a certain rank. I don't think it should be. It probably should be based on how many tournaments you played or how many championship points you have. But if you're in like the top 64, top 128, I think you should get some kind of priority to registration like if you like you, you I mean, get a, if if the cap is 2000 for the tournament like why couldn't it be the top like it could be the top 128 it could be the top like 500 right yeah, you like, could even yeah that, I mean, I think that's unreasonable if there's like top 500 us well, and for top, each region like, 300 eu top 200 la top 100 oc like we're still looking at a ton of spots that anyone could have but then still giving those people who are like have points this year a, a good shot to get in right yeah 500 seems like a lot but yeah yeah i think you could definitely put a number on it for um for ic's for for a certain number for each region for ic's where they get a little bit of preferential treatment and then you i think you'll even do it like locally for regionals now we haven't had the problem with regionals capping in a while since like the immediate ones post COVID in the in that half season we had right um so we haven't really yeah. seen a regionals capping oh i guess at the beginning of the season we had it as well but i guess that was kind of like the the post-covid hype kind of carrying over a little bit into this season but since then since the first couple of this season regionals capping really hasn't been a thing and hopefully that doesn't that doesn't come back to being a thing yeah um, at least not like in the first couple seconds of registration going live i don't know if it's been a thing in europe at all i feel like for one of their events but i think that was well, once I think again at europe the beginning is of the year. still selling out pretty much instantly but like most of their tournaments are capped still around like 800 yeah, i don't think they're really selling out instantly i could be wrong on that i actually like by accidentally registered for the uh torino special event uh accidentally registered yeah i don't know what i was clicking on but i was just like looking through events and i like clicked on it i was like oh wait, wait i didn't register for this and i like panic clicked it i was like oh wait this is the torino special event in europe i'm not going to this so i need to like actually send a support ticket to like rk9 and tell them to unregister me so i don't have someone slot um, bro why don't you just go no <laughs> <laughs> when um, is it I think it isn't during a weekend where there is a, it's between, I don't remember. I think it actually, right, I'm booking Azul's flight right now. <laughs> yeah. So I need to get my spot revoked on that because I'm not, I'm not going. Yeah. I was just like clicking through stuff. I was just like looking at Arcan 9 and I actually clicked on, well, I was like on the page. I was like, wait, I didn't register for this. And for some reason it didn't compute in my head that it wasn't a, an American event. And I was like, oh shoot, I got to register for this before I can't. 
Um, but yeah, we haven't had that problem at North American regionals in a while. It seems like generally in the other regions, um, that might not be a big deal as well, except for maybe Australia. I feel like their stuff is maybe still capping pretty fast. You said Europe is too, but I feel like I, I feel like it's not capping like super, super fast. I could be wrong on that though. Um, uh, but I'm sure someone from yeah. Europe can let us know in the comment section here on YouTube. Um, but yeah, I think it probably depends on the tournament too. Like in certain regions, I feel like I remember at least for like, um, gosh, what regionals was it? It was one kind of recently, maybe been like the special event in Utrecht. Like I remember people tweeting about that, the regional in Bochum, like those capping really quick, I feel yeah. like, but I'm definitely, we're, as one of our like less plugged in there, like we, we might see a tweet or two in passing about it, but like, you know, we're not dealing with those tournaments, right? So we're, it's yeah. less on the front of our mind than it is for the players. I feel like overall we've moved there. We've moved past that. Like the venues are bigger. Um, and hopefully they continue to be potentially bigger in the future, going to next season, at least for regionals. Hopefully regionals aren't a problem anymore with capping instantly uh, in any of the regions. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't like the idea of like, yeah, a lot of the statements around like potentially just excluding players who don't have CP or haven't been to an event just felt very uninclusive um, and wasn't super constructive. I think it would be one like no one really made like I feel like what a lot of was on a lot of people a lot of people's minds, but they didn't really say it was like it feels like you know maybe if you're in like the top 128 players in like let's say just North America for an example, put a number on the rest of the regions, whatever. Um, you should probably get like a slight lenience towards or, or a slight uh, whatever it's called. You should be able to register. Uh, you know, given like an hour to get, like you have like a spot saved for like an hour when registration goes up. And if you register in that hour, you're good, you're safe, and you're good to go. And I think that should be a thing. I think that should be a thing. Currently, the only protected slots for players are players who have stipends or travel awards to ICs. Those are the only protected slots. But I, I actually think there should be like two uh, qualifications for your slot being protected. One would, like, so if it was top 64, that would include the stipend and travel award players. So that would already include them. It should be top X from each region. Uh, for your region, the regionals in your region, you have preferential uh, registration. And then for ICs, you also have preferential. That could be top 16 or beyond top 16. So it could be like top 32, top 64. I'm not sure what the number should be. And then the other thing that I think is, I think there should be some kind of like uh, established legacy player slash pro player, uh, you know, just label given to certain players, like where it's like kind of like a Hall of Fame type thing. Like if Jason Klasinski wanted to play in this NAIC, like I think Jason should be able to play in this NAIC. I think it would be super sick. Like if you into going into round three, they just put Jason on stream at 2-0 or something like that. Like I think if you reach a certain status in the game, you should well, remember basically... Remember we stream every round, so... Yeah, yeah. Well, I was just giving... I don't know if you want to put Jason on stream at... <clears throat> round one i don't know how rusty he is <laughs> dang no, he's bro. still he still keeps up i think the dust off there come on i mean he's grinding 06 so like he still keeps up with the game in general um but yeah like i think that'd be super sick so i think there should be some kind of like a hall of flame hall of flame hall of fame uh kind of list of players who like if they just want to show up to a tournament like i feel like it wouldn't be the end of the world if you know they get like a little bit of preferential treatment for that. Like they've kind of earned it. Same thing with like players who are like in top 32, top 64, top 28, whatever number you want to put on it. I think they should get a little bit of preferential treatment because they've kind of earned, you know, they put in the extra time and effort to go to more events and uh, get a decent amount of placement. So they've kind of earned that preferential treatment as well, I think. Um, so that's not something I expect to happen uh, because Pokemon generally doesn't like, it just seems like Pokemon doesn't like those kind of things very much, but I think it's definitely something that would be good for the growth of the game and like establishing players to consistently be able to go to events to kind of establish their name um, and, you know, kind of give uh, something more to like storylines, I guess, throughout in the game in general for uh, to kind of breed more potential like top players uh, in the game, if that makes sense. Yeah. 
No, totally. I mean, I, I think if they implemented something like a Hall of Fame in the future, that would be really cool just in general, right? Like outside of giving those people like a pass to everything, right? Yeah. Um, just like the fact that something like that would exist would be really cool. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that a lot of the people's takes that you were talking about that we saw of like, you know, these people who don't have any championship points are like taking spots away from people <laughs> who are trying to get their world's invite and stuff. I think people just need to remember that the way the system exists right now, there is no like separate thing for casual and competitive players, right? So if someone lives in Columbus and they go to nationals every single year, but they don't travel outside of their state or their county or city or wherever to to go to Pokemon tournaments. The way the system works right now, it is built for those people to be able to come and have just as equal of a shot to participate as well, which I'm like not at all opposed to. I think it's great that Pokemon is something that can be involved by people or in, sorry, enjoyed by people who are super involved in it or people who are, you know, super casual, um, you know, fans who just like want to play every once in a while. And then like for a long time, there was people like um, what was his name? Tom Dolzel, right? Yeah. <laughs> the guy who literally played no tournaments all year would go get his play points, I guess, or whatever to be able to participate. And then uh, for U.S. Nationals and he would just come play U.S. Nationals, get top four and get his world's invite. And then he was chilling, you know, um, I think that's pretty cool, to be honest. And I think it's it would be cool. And that could technically still exist. Right. You know, like 350 points to, to qualify for Worlds, Someone could show up with zero CP, get to the finals and get their world's invite. That's totally possible and could happen. Pretty unlikely. I mean, I think you know, 2K person tournament. That's a gauntlet to go through and have it not played all year with the level that the game is at currently, right? But it's yeah. it's something that is, I think just like the possibility of that existing is fine. Now, I'm not, I, I don't think it would be necessarily a bad thing if the system changed and there was, you know, like an open tournament and then also like a pro tournament that existed. Right. But then you're looking at something that changes the way the entire structure works currently. Um, so I don't know what your thoughts are on that as someone who would probably be involved in the pro side of things. If you think like a pro circuit could exist, I know magic had a pro circuit for a few years, but I also know like it died recently. I think like they ended it. Well, they had a pro um, circuit for forever. I'm pretty sure they've like yeah. had a pro circuit for forever, but then, yeah, they kind of got rid of it. Um, I mean, I don't know if you need, I mean, just some kind of, I think some kind of thing to kind of incentivize like more players to want to do the grind of like trying to stay on top all the time and like something like that wouldn't be a bad thing. Um, I think it's just a lot of frustration with the percentage of players who tried to register who couldn't register is like the biggest thing. And then it came out with like a lot of people making like not fully thought out, thought out or just kind of bad takes in general. Um, and I think I think the one thing we can look at for sure is that they're definitely moving in the direction of trying to create more space at these tournaments, right? Like EUIC over doubled in numbers of availability, right? EUIC last season sold out. There were 600 players. EUIC this season sold out and it was 1,500 players, right? So they're definitely moving in the direction of getting more venue space for more players to compete. Um, NAIC last year was, I don't know, around 1,500 as well. And this year we're looking at maybe 18, maybe 1,900. That's not as big of a percent increase of space uh, as I think the, the player demand could have allowed for. So I think they dropped the ball a little bit on NAIC this year. But I think it's really, it'd be a bad it would be kind of like a bad call to like start hating on them so heavily right now when we haven't even seen them like potentially push it to grow for the next season as well. Like I did think they dropped the ball a little bit on the numbers this time around. 
Um, but remember, they probably booked these venues like NAIC a year, last a year in advance. Was, NIC last year was eleven fifty-five, by the way. Oh, okay, never mind. It was eleven fifty-five last year. This and it sold out last year as well. But I don't, there wasn't as much. Uh, I feel like it sold out like. Yeah, but there wasn't, it wasn't as much. Like, it wasn't like seconds. It was like minutes, though. Yeah, but there wasn't. Yeah, there wasn't as much controversy around it, right? At all. Yeah. Yeah. So that if it was minutes, and that kind of gave everyone kind of a fair shot, you just got to be there on time, and you you could be you should be good to go. Um, but I think we should kind of have to wait. Like, yeah, so that's like a 700-player increase, right? Which is a pretty big difference. Um, I think we should have to wait. And, like, they're increasing the venue size to allow more players to play. If they just consistently do that at a reasonable rate, I don't think there's really too much to complain about. Like, I already stated my thoughts on, like, you know, top player privilege and all that stuff that I think should exist to some extent in the game a little bit more than it does. Um, but currently, they, the more players are playing the game, and they keep increasing the venue size. So if they just keep doing that at a reasonable rate, I I think we're in a good we're, we're headed in a good direction. I don't think it's as as like um as doom and gloom as people kind of made it out to be after this NAI registration NAIC registration fiasco went down. I don't think it's as doom and gloom as people are kind of making it out to be at all. And I think there's always a chance that more spots still come available, right? Yeah, you know, I was gonna knees, obviously, but like we've seen fourth waves or extra waves open up in the past for regionals, and I think NAIC potentially in the past or US Nationals I don't remember um, so it definitely is possible a fourth wave could be coming don't don't uh, cross your fingers also another thing that I saw a lot of people talking about was like people registering to play in the tournament just to get the swag bag which I'm sure exists but does it exist to the extent that people were complaining about it on Twitter I've never really heard uh, of I that I think I did see someone someone mentioning that like they were in a collector discord and saw people talking about it I mean so it's probably not like a hundred people but it could be a few dozen people right um, and maybe it is a hundred people, honestly, the, I mean, yeah, the swag bag setup is, I mean, probably like you pay $60 for something that's worth like 300 bucks, right? Two to 300 bucks. Yeah. It's, it's you also get to go to the Pokemon Center. pretty good return on investment. Yeah. You get to go to the Pokemon center as well. So there's uh, plenty of reason for like the incentive is there for someone to, to want to do that. Yeah. But I think, I think, I don't think the, I saw some people like saying like the solution should be to like take away competitive swag. And I was like, I don't think that's a solution. Like, I feel like no. it's a pretty big deal to like the competitors, especially like the players who are, I feel like are a little bit more casual. Well, um, I think the thing, I, I think that if the swag didn't exist, it would have very little impact on the number of people wanting to play in the tournament. It's yeah, kind but of I just think like it is a, a nice bonus thing. And it's yeah. something that should exist a hundred percent. Yeah. Um, and like there should so like, be, I feel like there should be competitor exclusive swag. Like I think that yes, I don't know. It just sounds like a I good agree. thing, even if there I are agree. these, you know, Discord uh, collector <laughs> people like you know uh, scheming <laughs> to take registration slots. Like I still feel like it's not a big enough percentage. And maybe I'm wrong. And maybe maybe the uh, the percentage drop off of like like people getting buys in day one will kind of be telling of that, right? Um, or I don't mm -hmm. even know if those players will even submit their deck list. So I guess we can tell by like how many people registered versus how many people showed up. Round one drops. Yeah. If it's like 300 people, then, you know, that will be a little bit more telling. But I, I feel like it's probably not that because I've never heard about people doing that before. It makes sense when you think about it. Just because I haven't heard about it doesn't mean it doesn't exist. But like, is it really as big of as big of a deal as people are making it out to be? It doesn't. I don't think so. So, yeah, I think a lot of a lot of people are just frustrated and it's understandable to be frustrated for sure. Biggest event of the year. In North America, a lot of players in North America, a lot of players who won't be able to compete, not just from North America, but from all over the world. Uh, but Pokemon has shown they're getting bigger venues uh, for these bigger ICs. Like, if they keep doing that at a reasonable rate, I just think we're we're on track in, in a good spot, I feel like. I feel like we're kind of panicking for nothing. But I think that kind of yeah. covers uh, covers NAIC registration, unless there's anything else you want to mention, Chip. 
No, I don't think so. I mean, I think that it is important to have the perspective of, you know, percentage growth year over year is bigger and bigger and bigger. And, you know, when they're planning things, they're looking at numbers from last year and they're like, okay, maybe it's 10% bigger. We'll prep for it to be 50% bigger. And then all of a sudden, it demand sells out instantly. 100% right? bigger, so, yeah. Yeah, 100% bigger. So it's, um, yeah, they'll plan for it to be 100% bigger and then it still sells out instantly. So, I mean, I don't know what more you could ask for. I don't know. I mean, you could ask for more of them. They have the resources. I'm not trying to like necessarily excuse, but also at the same time, just. I think just like a general rule of thumb for life in general is to try to see things from more than just your narrow perspective, right? It's yeah. so easy for us to just focus in on the lens that we are looking through. Just it's a class like old saying, right? Put yourself in someone else's shoes. Just try to like take a step back and think about it from a perspective other than your own and just in life in general, right? And and give yourself an opportunity to think about how someone else might see this or how the person who's making these decisions might see certain things. But yeah, like yeah said, hopefully, it feels like, hopefully uh, it just continues to get bigger and bigger every year. Yeah, they definitely seem to like, like I said, seem to lowball it a little bit um, for sure. But yeah, hopefully next year, next year, hopefully we can have maybe 3,000 Masters uh, TCG slots available. And that's kind of the metric we kind of just go by because, like, to be honest, all the other divisions and games, I guess VGC's been kind of popping off this year, but they kind of are irrelevant in terms of numbers for the most part. VGC Masters is, like, um, popped off way more than it has in the past, so I don't even know what the numbers they've been getting at regionals, so to be honest, as of late. So, um, But, yeah, the, really the metric to kind of judge everything by is TCG Masters just because it's, like, two, three times it's as large. It's the biggest as, like, division. Yeah, yeah, it's the biggest division by far. By um, far. So that's kind of the metric to run everything off of. But, yeah, hopefully... Maybe we push for 3K Masters next year. That'd be kind of sick um, to get up to that 3K mark, kind of match Japan's biggest tournaments, even if we only do it once a year. Um, yeah. yeah. Oh, go ahead. Well, with with bigger tournaments comes bigger opportunities and bigger chances to cheat <laughs> and try to get away with it. And there's another instance, two weekends in a row. Azul, it's getting crazy out there. I uh, saw some people joking on Twitter <laughs> about your, like, call to arms from the cheaters on the podcast last week of yeah. saying, like, you know, you're not a real cheater if you don't tr like the ultimate thing to do as a cheater is to try to get away with it on the stream. It's like someone took Azul's suggestion a little too literally in Malmo this past weekend. Yeah, maybe. And yeah, yeah, definitely not condoning or saying anyone should cheat. Of course. But, I mean, if you're going to go your way to do it, you're not there to win the tournament because you definitely don't get any. There's no like value from you winning the tournament while you cheated because you didn't do it. Honestly, so you're trying to be the best cheater, try and get away with it on stream gonna do it uh but yeah so uh <laughs> so there was an incident on the stream uh over at uh malmo this weekend from the player oliver barnett um i'll go ahead and run this clip here real fast i'm gonna slow it yeah. down to probably i don't know 0.5 speed is probably fine it's only 14 seconds long so player on the left oliver barnett is playing lost box up against um La lace slice lass um, who was actually the eventual champion with the Fusion Mew deck here in this round. I don't even know who wins this round, to be honest. All we know is that this clip exists. I don't even know who wins this game. Um, <laughs> but I Oliver... think that the round, for, based on Oliver's statement, the, the game did not finish. Okay, so Oliver on the, the left-hand side here uh, needs to get the Clara off the prize cards. And you can see the prize cards there. There's a Colrus on the left and a Clara on the right. Now, the Colrus is the closer prize card to... Oliver, but actually, me and Chip went back and rewatched how Oliver draws their prize cards. And to me, I think it's worth taking note of here is Oliver some or did 
so the first time they drew two prize cards, they drew the bottom two prize cards, of course, because drawing bottom to top, it just makes no sense. But when they drew a one of prize card, they actually took the further away prize card over the closer prize card. So there was a nest ball right under the Colrus, which is the closer side of the prize cards to Oliver, and there was a Trek and Shoes on the further side under the Clara, and they chose to go out of their way to take the further prize card. Um, so one of the things that could come up here is it's a little bit jarring and just feels off when you play on stream to how you would normally kind of play the game sitting at a table, just normal switch rounds. Um, so if like if Oliver just normally draws their prize cards for this first, which is a little bit weird, it is definitely just, I would, I would definitely qualify it as drawing your prize cards out of order. Of course, there's no real correct way to draw your prize cards, but you all know what I mean. It's not that complicated. It's out of order, right? You drew your prize cards out of order if you take a further prize card away from you. It just is. Um, but if they always do that, kind of when they draw their prize cards, it kind of makes sense. And that could be an argument for why when we watch this clip here, Oliver would want it would draw the Clara, um, would want to go for the drawing the Clara over the course because they just like drawing the further prize card first. But we see in this clip, Oliver when they go to draw a prize card, they're drawing one prize card. Um, oh no, 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 this is they're they're drawing two prize cards here. But this clip they've already drawn the nest ball that was under the Culver. So they're, they're drawing two prize cards, but this clip cuts off the initial prize draw. So there's there was a nest ball under the Culver that they took. And then they go to draw the second prize card for drawing two prize cards on the turn. And they reach out and they grab the Colrus. And it looks like they pick it up and see it. And then go to draw the other prize card. And then go grab the Clara. And of course, it's definitely cheating to look at one of your prize cards. Be like, that's not the one I want. Put it back down and go take the other one. It's not 100% possible to tell for sure based on the angle that they saw the Colrus. But it definitely looks like they saw the chorus they picked it up looked at it and were like now nah, i'm gonna put yeah. that back because that's not yeah. the clara that i need to win the game and then go get the clara instead yeah it looks really bad like the first time i watched this clip i was like oh dude get this guy out of here this guy just picked up his card looked at it and said nope i want the other one because that's like at a glance when you're watching a normal speed that's what it looks like but like as said we slowed it down tried to look at it and you really can't tell 100 that this guy looked at this card um so like myself included like most people just instantly jump on the wagon of yeah this guy definitely cheated took a peek i don't know that he didn't i don't know that he necessarily did and he did eventually come out and release a statement he was i guess before we get into the statement he was disqualified from the tournament for this yeah. um this is what led to the disqualification think, yeah in in his uh his twit longer it actually wasn't a twit longer he did the rare skip the twit longer go straight for the google doc and uh <laughs> i don't think i've ever seen the google doc actually i've seen notes notepad uh yeah, yeah extended yeah. tweets and then twit longer yeah we got one tweets. of those we'll get to in this episode huh <laughs> yeah we do have one to talk about of those um but yeah there was a i mean they called it an official statement here um mammal regionals my statement um from oliver and i'm not gonna read through all of this chip if you want to read through some of it i don't i haven't looked through it i haven't looked through it thoroughly i've only picked out like certain parts to actually read through uh but yeah. basically kind of giving their statement on uh yeah just what down happened. to the claris versus culver's versus clara 50 50 for game situation so like well actually one before we get there actually one weird kind of statement that they put in here is about Hisuian Heavy Ball. So they use Hisuian Heavy Ball, which allows you to look at your prize cards. They pick up and look at their prize cards, um, and they see, okay, they see everything that's in there. They don't know if they need it yet at this point in the game, because when they have six prize cards left, they don't know how the game is going to develop. And actually, they do make a mistake at some point in the game that they actually mention in this statement about how they used a Pokestop when they shouldn't have, and actually mills their Drapion, which is the card they then need to recover with the Clara to win the game. Um, yeah. But uh, what they say in this segment is basically 
I I look at my prize cards. I then hand them to the judge and then ask the judge to shuffle them. But then the judge does not shuffle them and then just lays them back out in order, which would be predictable if you know they're not shuffled when when uh, with the Clara in the top, Chorus next, Trek and Choose, Nest Ball. You can even see this picture that I'm looking at here. If you're watching on YouTube, you can see it. Clara, Chorus, Trek and Choose, Nest Ball, Recycler, Vacuum. And that's actually how they're exactly placed out from top to bottom. Clara, Chorus, Trek and Choose, Nest Ball, Recycler, Vacuum. Um, but throughout this whole kind of statement that Oliver makes, I was expecting Oliver to be like, and I knew where the Clara was because my prize cards were never shuffled. And I realized they were never shuffled when I started to draw my prize cards, but never makes that statement. So I just don't know why <laughs> this whole thing was ever put yeah. in their statement. This is a confused me because I was like, oh, at the end of this, Oliver's going to be like, and once I drew my first couple of prize cards and saw the vacuum recycler into the Trek and Sue's nest ball, I knew the, the judge had never shuffled my prize cards, which means Clara would be in the top left. So when I went to take a prize card, I was like, when I went to take it, I was like, oh, no, wait, I know for sure this is Colrus, so that means the other one's Clara, and because I know that, I'm actually not going to take this and go for the Clara. I never saw the prize card, but I did, in by fact, the know way, where they were. If that was the case, that is also cheating, by the way. Yes, that is also cheating. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I thought that was going to be Oliver's statement, was like, just because of how things played out and the judge actually never shuffling my prize cards, which is not actually on the judge to shuffle their prize cards, but it is fine to, like, ask a judge in that situation to do the shuffle for you. It's not, not against the rules for Oliver to be like, Used heavy ball. Here are my prize cards. Can you shuffle them for me and lay them back out? Because it is a little bit weird to reach for your prize cards over there. And the judge actually has a kind of a better angle to do it. And one of the things Oliver said was it just seemed like most fair for the judge to do the shuffling of the prize cards, right? Yeah. So, yeah, it is a little weird to show that, I mean, for, for Oliver to link, to describe this in his post as well. And I think it might be trying to, like, shift some of the blame off of, like, saying... Oh, I was only ever in this spot initially because uh, my prize cards were not randomized. Like, theoretically, my Clara could have been in the bottom prizes and I would have already had access to it earlier in the yeah. game, right? But the judge just never shuffled, so it's kind of on the judge. Which, to be fair, like, the, the if the player asks the judge to shuffle, you can always ask a judge for a judge shuffle for the deck, for the prizes, whatever. Anything that has to be shuffled, you can technically always request a judge shuffle. Azul does it sometimes because he's a nerd, but... Um, <laughs> It's something you can always do. Um, and the judge just like for whatever instance, maybe misheard, you know, uh, stream headsets, who knows what the issue is, didn't do it. But yeah, down here at the the end, the Colors versus Clara 50-50 for game. Oliver does say, I went to take my fourth prize, which is Nest Ball, left in the same sequence, thanks to the Hisuian Heavy Ball from 15 minutes prior. And seeing it caused my heart to race, knowing how important getting Clara from this fifth prize was. As someone who's neurodivergent, ASD, and has difficulty with my nerves on stage in the past, I went to grab the second prize. In a split-second decision, I changed my mind and took the other prize. So, I don't know what your thoughts are on this a little bit, but it's definitely something like, if you know you have a 50-50 to win the game or lose the game, I could definitely see someone, like, I wouldn't do this, I would just grab one of them and be like, okay, the numbers are the numbers, I either get it or I don't, right? Um, but some people would like really kind of think about it and be like, okay, 50, 50 here. Am I taking left or right? And ha I have to live with the decision that I make here, taking the left or the right prize. Right. Yeah. I've actually like, and I think that is kind of a real thing. And I think a lot of people will actually like, uh, not sympathize. That's not the right word, but will understand that statement. Cause in the past, before I became more, uh, logic brained about the Pokemon TCG, I would do that like way back 2012, 2013, I would be like, 
I need to get this boss out of my prize cards. I have three prize cards left. I'm like, I could take them in order like I always do, but what if it's in the top two prize cards instead of the third the, the third one up? And then I just go take one of the other ones randomly. Uh, and like, I mean, obviously sometimes it works out, sometimes it doesn't. Now I just always draw my prize cards the exact same way every time. Um, I could also see, like I said, once again, and I know this because I played on stream quite a bit, playing on stage is definitely different. It can be a little bit jarring. It can definitely make you make some mistakes. Like literally most recently me against Cameron Chinoy on stream where Cameron was drawing cards off the top of their deck for prize cards because of how they had him play left-handed instead of right-handed or right-handed instead of left-handed. I forget which one it was. But um, I've had, and this, you've probably never seen it for me. I've had situations where I go to take a prize card and I'm like, wait, that's not how I normally draw my prize cards. And then I take a different prize card. So if you like had a top-down view of my hand going to take a prize card, you would think that's extremely suspicious, but it's just because I go to take a prize card and based on where I am on the stream or sometimes how they've had the stream table set up in the past where they make you play left-handed instead of right-handed, which is like really bad. Um, you go to take a prize card, but I'm like, wait, that's not how I draw my prize cards. And I'll correct myself and I'll actually draw the prize card that I think is the, the one I should be taking based on how I normally draw my prize cards in a game. Now, should I do that? Maybe not. Maybe I should just draw the prize card that is closest to me in that scenario or the one that I would just is most reasonable for me to draw on the stream stage. But like I, I like recompute and I'm like, that's not how I normally draw my prize cards. I have to take a different one here. Like I'm computed at this point to just draw my prize cards the exact same way every single time. So when I go to not do it differently, I'm always like catch myself and then go back to drawing how I normally draw them. So um, I think that is reasonable that that can be uh, yeah. definitely something that came up. And like I said, I agree with you. Like, and we, Oliver, we initially yeah. watched the video and I think it was like immediately was like, oh, they definitely cheated. But going back and watching it, I think with their statement, Plus rewatching it, especially in slow-mo, you don't really see for sure that they see the card as far as I can tell. Maybe someone has slowed it down or it zoomed in and can tell. It definitely looks like but... the card like leaves the table, right? But yeah. it doesn't look – you can't tell if like he grabs the card and like flips it up real quick, right? Yeah. You can tell that it like maybe comes up off the table and goes back down. And now I'm not saying that this guy didn't cheat necessarily, but I'm not like convinced that he necessarily did. Um, and Oliver does go on to finish here in the statement. I, I mean, I think overall this is like a really good, you know, cohesive statement from Oliver. Says that he thinks this was a, an irrational decision. It makes no logical sense. The odds are the exactly same between Colrus and Clara being there. And by all reasonable perspectives, I should have continued to grab the prize I was originally taking. I swear I had no idea the first card was Colrus. I did not see the reflection of the card nor anything else while initially grabbing it. After around three seconds of going to take it, I took the other card. And he kind of goes on to say what we've already said, how you can't totally 100% tell. But he does also say, I don't expect anyone to believe me. I don't expect you to believe me. If I was watching that clip from an outsider's perspective, I would absolutely believe that foul play was at work and would be doing everything I could to publicly call this to attention immediately. So, I mean, he he understands, right? <laughs> like, he sees that this clip, it looks bad. But I think he does a good job of explaining how it looks like this but here's how it actually happened and we can watch it and see like, you know, that does make sense. Yeah. I think, uh, this is definitely not quite as, as clean cut as definitely not quite as clean cut as something like the editor situation from last week, where I think like without a doubt, yeah. like it can't get more obvious than what editor than the editor situation. But I think this one, there's a little bit more to look at. I think it's like reasonable in the situation for, for what happened, what the stream could see for the judges to have DQ'd Oliver, and it could have been at the end of the day. I, I think agree. it definitely could have been un not unjust because Oliver didn't do it because there's only so much you can leave up to interpretation, right? Or like there's only so much uh, you you have to interpret it in some way, and it's really hard to interpret that what happened, what Oliver did on the stream in any other way besides the besides cheating there, right? Um, yeah. So I think the DQ is fine. Uh, it sounds like they're done with playing the game. They said we'll yeah. withdraw 
myself at the earliest possibility from the community. So it makes me think that Oliver has a worlds invite and they're going to play out worlds at the very least. That's kind of what, that's what I got from that statement. But it sounds like after that, Oliver will probably be done playing. But um, I think it's very important. And I think I even jumped the gun because I, I remember sending out a tweet um, uh, immediately after seeing the clip while I was at Hartford Regionals. I sent out a tweet myself. And even, I don't like to do that. I like to try and like be a little bit more nuanced and making sure I have the full story. I can see the full scope of things before I like have a strong opinion on something. Um, so I think I should have waited. I think it's just important um, of course, not saying Oliver didn't cheat, um, but it's important to make sure that you don't let the mob kind of create your opinion for you. Because um, everyone, especially in the Pokemon community right now, wants to start a witch hunt, wants to get the pitchforks and torches out, wants to be the next person to catch a cheater or something like that. Um, then everyone wants to be part of that kind of uh, <laughs> yeah. kind of takedown as well. Just make sure you're giving yourself so yourself some time to form your own opinions and you're not letting the general perspective of something uh, yeah. form the you form your opinion for you. And I think it's important as well, like when Azul's talking about like witch hunting and stuff, we're not talking about... Actual um, witches. <laughs> yeah, that's what I wanted to clarify. Thanks. <laughs> like, we're not talking about not going out of your way to maybe try to hold people accountable, right? Yeah, I yeah. think that's totally fine, and we should do that. Um, you know, the, the term witch hunt nowadays just gets thrown around so, like... Uh, harshly from both sides of people, you know, seeing it one way or the other, right? Of like, we need to like go after this person. And then also uh, from people being like, we, we got to stop the witch hunting, right? Stop the witch hunting. Um, to those people, I'd say that try to recognize where the difference is between looking for a witch hunt and um, uh, holding someone accountable. And to the people who are always going so hard after someone trying to like find the next thing to call out, try to have more nuance and take a step back and like i said earlier try to see stuff from other people's perspective or at least like do your own like look into the situation do your own due diligence before you yeah. go out of your way to try to to try to hold someone accountable for something that might not have actually gone down the way it necessarily went down yeah um, i feel like the the correct like the correct way to approach and to approach a situation the correct way to, to handle a situation uh on the the spectrum of options you could pick from is usually in between uh, usually in the middle of the two extremes that are generally represented for most situations, right? Like something happens, there'll be people all the way on the, the far left of the uh, the spectrum of, of reactions and people on the far right. It's not as many people in the middle, but generally being in the middle is usually the correct the correct take if everyone's just like, and usually most people come around to the middle take as, as soon as they've cooled off and kind of thought about or discussed stuff a little bit further. So yeah, are we always just political here little... as well? What are you, I mean, right and left, well, I was just talking about here. I'm just... <laughs> Pokemon politics, <laughs> a new segment. Yeah, there you go. But yeah, I think that covers uh covers that at least the the cheating discussion at Malmo Regionals. Uh, we we don't our... know. Like, I don't think either of us think like Oliver one hundred percent cheated, but I don't think like we're convinced that he definitely didn't necessarily. Right. Yeah, this one's a little bit more up in the air. Uh, yeah, definitely a little bit more I up think... in the air. But it's hard. It's hard to. I think it would be hard for. Uh, it's it's definitely the DQ seems reasonable. Um, yeah. And then I, agree. It, I would I think it might be hard for, of course, Chip's responsibility to this is going to be, they don't ban anyone ever. It would be hard for Oliver to potentially not get a potential ban. Actually, that kind of... He's not going to get banned. Yeah, <laughs> that was going to lead into something else I actually wanted to talk gonna about. Edder's not going to get banned, dude. Edder's, Edder's, Edder's not going to get banned. If Edder doesn't get banned, bro, that's that's criminal right there. 
Um, that was going to lead to something else I was going to kind of mention. In these kind of scenarios, it's, it's, I'm generally a big fan of second chances, um, just kind of in life in general, but also potentially in the Pokemon TCG, uh, especially in situations that involve, you know, like juniors or seniors levels planners. Obviously, no one should ever cheat. And if even like a junior or senior does cheat, they should probably receive some kind of initial ban to know that the consequences do potentially exist. Um, but at a certain point, you do have to ask the question is like, should Oliver ever receive a temporary ban in these kind of We've definitely seen them in the past for masters tcg players but like at what point do you're just kind of like eh you know you're 25 plus and you cheat in a pokemon tcg tournament that's just a permanent ban you're gonna have to deal with it i feel like usually they are pretty reasonable or accepting of the idea of uh, second chances and usually i am in life in general like i said but i haven't really fully fleshed this kind of my thought process out on these kind of scenarios like if you are like 25 year old 25 years old plus or something like that and you do cheat at a pokemon tcg tournament should that just be the the perma ban like usually i'm a big fan of second chances but like do you have any thoughts on that chip not particularly i mean i i don't think it really matters because they're not going to ban anyone for any of this <laughs> that's, that's like they the just worst don't ban people chip coming at Dude, you with the worst just, take. I'm, I'm i'm not it's not a bad take it's just the real take man Ooh, and this okay. is not me having insider information but it's just like looking at the facts of the past 12 months people have been dq'd from tournaments or as bad they're going to delete the ban list. They're going to delete the ban list. Gosh, I hope not. Right? Like, <laughs> I don't know. It's definitely, I don't know. People have the... not gotten added to the, the ban list. Is not public, by the way, right? So, like, we don't even necessarily know who is or who isn't on the ban list. But everybody um, knows. Usually, like, yeah, exactly. It's not public, but like, when someone gets added to the ban list, it makes its way through like the the message groups and the, the group chats and the discords, and then people start talking about it on Twitter and stuff like that. So eventually, people find out when someone gets banned, even though it's not public. Which would be all the more reason. I mean, we talked about this a couple weeks ago, right? Pokemon talked about they're evaluating the ways that they're trying to communicate decisions that they make with their community and it's been seven eight weeks now and we still have nothing no statements i mean yeah it's yeah it definitely seems like they're never going to make a statement on the makani situation which was kind of what's like we were thinking maybe definitely like we mentioned last week i'm a statement on the editor situation i don't think it's like unreasonable for them to have not made it yet um but this would be a perfect time uh, like I mentioned last week, to get back in the good graces of the community, make a statement. If you're banning Edder, make a statement on it. Make the ban list public. Make that part of your statement release here. But like we're going to be trying to be more transparent about um, players who are no longer welcome in the Pokemon TCG. If you're going to ban Oliver, throw out a statement about Oliver as well. Add them to the ban list and whatever. Um, and you know, just make the whole kind of situation and public about what their kind of process is a little bit as how they came to the decision to. Uh, ban editor permanently and if they're going to give if they do ban Oliver if it's a temporary ban or not or even just making a statement on what happened on stream and then being like uh, being like based on this what happened from what we saw and Oliver's statement we're not going to ban Oliver I think even that would be like something interesting to make a statement about of course that one's maybe a little bit reaching I don't even think they do that kind of stuff in magic uh, maybe they do I'm actually not sure uh, but yeah. you make, maybe making the statement on a DQ right I think that maybe on the player being DQ, making a statement on that would be reasonable. So um, it's a perfect time, once again, for TPCI to get back in the good graces of the community a little bit by getting some statements out on Edder's ban and then releasing oh. the ban list to the public. You know what else it's the perfect time for, Azul? <sighs> it's the perfect time to talk about the best sleeves in the game. <laughs> That's right. Dragon Shield. We do have to take just a second to give a huge thanks to Dragon Shield for being a sponsor of the Uncommon Energy podcast. Dragon Shield makes some of the best card gaming and tabletop gaming products and accessories on the market, including sleeves, binders, deck boxes, 
and so so much more azul you played in a tournament this past weekend you always resleeve between day one and day two we know so we know you had two colors of dragon shields this weekend what were you rocking um <clears throat> i was actually there's this I was rocking the turquoises, which I think I mentioned I was going to be rocking on the podcast last week. And I also used the matte, the matte blues, like uh, the turquoises feel fine. I mean, all the dragon shields feel fine, but the matte blues felt really good. I don't know what it was. Like the basic color dragon shields, like the, the blues, the greens, whatever, they all feel super, super good. I don't know. They just hit different for sure. So that's what I was have rocking. You used in, uh, the, have you used the midnight blue yet? I don't think so, no. I think that's a new one from, like, the newest wave of colors they sent out. Um, and I I put those on a deck recently. I haven't, like, gone and used the deck, but I, like, you shuffled it up and messed around with it a little bit. And those felt really, really good, the Midnight Blue. So it's, like, it, it is, it's not ones. a dual matte. It's a regular matte um, color. So I, I was a big fan of those. Um, but like, I agree, like I'm, the one, my go-tos are pretty much just always the matte blacks just cause they're like kind of classic and, um, I like the way they feel and they're pretty consistent overall as well. Those are kind of my go-tos. So I'm, a, I also agree. I like the just kind of solid basic color matte sleeves. Yeah, me too. Yeah. They felt great. Yeah. So once again, huge shout out to Dragon Shield for being a sponsor and supporting us here on Uncommon Energy. As always, you can find them at dragonshield.com slash webshop slash EU or US, depending on where you are. And they're pretty much findable everywhere. Amazon, Walmart, local game store. You can find Dragon Shields. Actually, this just I just saw this tweet. So before we get into Guess That Flavor Text, um, Team Northwest actually tweeted out, there's still room for Fresno regionals. Registration links available here. And then they tweeted out a graph showing the percentages that are available in each game. I don't think we've ever seen this before. Um, showing exactly how where the cap is and how much is left for each division. So TCG is, hang on, I can share this. I can put this up on my, I forgot I have the power this week, so I can actually do this. Um, yeah, since I'm at the beach, Azul's actually recording on his end. Normally I handle all this stuff. <laughs> yeah, so TCG looks like it's like 80, almost 90% full, 85%, 87%. Uh, SV Masters is Scarlet and Violet, right? So that's a video yeah. game. VGC, um, yeah. And they're just over 60%. SV juniors, juniors and Seniors, for some reason, is split from the Masters. That's interesting. They're about 50%. Go is less than 40%. And Spectators are about 65%. I don't even know. Yeah, 65%-ish. I, this <laughs> is just interesting. We've, I don't think anyone has ever done this, like tweeted out. Is this a rare W from Team Northwest? Is this a W, though? Someone, they're, so, they're it, just trying to fill their event. Anything? They're just trying to fill their event. They just okay, like they had sure. a lot of space available. Like they're just I like, wonder, hey. what would be interesting to see Come is if through. they change their if they change their nine p.m. decklist submission, how quick it hits one hundred percent. Hey, you never know. I actually heard there was people who weren't playing in Portland and stuff because of that. I don't know if that actually ended up happening, um, but I heard there was a couple of players who like were going to go to Portland and then didn't because of the nine a.m. Uh, or nine p.m. deck submission thing. So. Team Northwest commonly taking L's, and one of the main reasons it's like if I feel like I go out of my way to praise other regionals when they ran so well, like this past weekend at Hartford was ran incredibly well, everything felt great, no lunch break stuff like that. Um, of course, people are always complaining about Team Northwest events, and I don't think it would be that big of a deal if they weren't so sarcastic on Twitter. I feel like they are extremely sarcastic on Twitter, and that's like one of the main reasons people have like a, a bad response to them. Um, so that's like <laughs> they. It feels like they're not trying to work with the players and trying to come to some kind of compromise on any of these things and trying to like help improve their events and make them better. Whereas it feels like that's the kind of the feel I get from the other organizers. Overload and day two. It feels like Team Northwest is a little bit more 
nah, everything we do is right and you guys are all wrong. We know you're going to show up anyways. Um, hold this L kind of uh, vibes, especially from their social media team. So, um, yeah, but that graph is interesting. I don't think we've ever seen that before. So I thought I would I would bring that up as I just saw it tweeted. I was a little scrolling Twitter while we were doing the podcast, of course. I got to stay up to date. <laughs> yeah, bring the breaking news, right? Yeah, I mean, it's a pretty important thing. You know, no one else has covered this yet. The graph. <laughs> Here we go. Well, let's move on to everyone's favorite segment of the cast. Guess that flavor text where each week Azul or I pick a card, read the flavor text from the bottom right corner, and have the other host try to guess which Pokemon is featured on that card. We do keep track. We do keep score. I'm currently up four points, and there are a few lifelines you can use. If you get the um, card correct, you get four points. If you uh, use any of the lifelines, you lose a point for each lifeline that you use. And the three lifelines you can use are what set the card is from, what stage the card is, and read an attack name. Like we said, I'm currently up four points over Azul. And it is my turn to pick. So Azul's got a big chance here. Could tie it up. Could close the gap. Azul, which do you think you're going to do? Are you tying it up? You're closing the gap? Or is it going to... Are we going to stay the same? Uh, I'm just going to settle for closing the gap. I'm going to go with the in-between. Not going to get too greedy here. Yeah, I'm going to go with closing the gap on this one. Probably not getting four Agreed. points, but hopefully more. Hopefully more than one would be nice, but at least one is better than zero. Well, are you ready, Azul? I'm ready. Hit me with the chip. All right. This very forgetful Pokemon will wait for a new order from its trainer, even though it already has one. This very forgetful, so it's kind of, if you think like of a dumb Pokemon, I think there's definitely been some in the past where I've like, that's a kind of like a thing. Like I remember when watching the shows and stuff, like there's like kind of derpy, uh, forgetful Pokemon. There's like, like some like on the edge of my mind here, but I can't quite pull them to the front to actually know what they are. For some reason, I think Wobbuffet is one of them. That's because I remember like in some of the episodes of the show, the Team Rocket Wobbuffet was always like super derpy. Uh, and just, it was like, popping out of its Pokemon yeah. time. Uh, I'm getting a little bit more here. I mean, I always start with this one, even though I say this is like the worst one for me. What what set is the card from? It is from Boundaries Crossed. Boundaries Crossed is what? That's a Sun and Moon set? That's a black and white set. That's like the Blastoise Keldeo set. Okay, so Derpy Pokemon. Something like a Psyduck kind of comes to mind as well, but I don't think it fully fits the Psyduck. Like I said Wobbuffet comes to mind. I'm just going to need another. We're going to have to go with, uh, let's go with an attack name. Razor Wind. Razor Wind. So it sounds like some kind of bird. Wind. 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 Yeah, Razor Wind. Yeah. It sounds like a bird type Pokemon then. A bird? Read the, oh, or not a bird Pokemon, a flying type Pokemon, I guess. Read the flavor text one more time for me. This very forgetful Pokemon will wait for a new order from its trainer, even though it already has one. All right, I'm going to have to use the last one here. What stage is the card? It is a basic. It's a basic, derpy, razor wind. I'm lost on this one. What was the set again? It was uh, black and white. Yeah, boundaries crossed. Black and white razor, boundaries crossed. Black and white boundaries crossed. Razor wind, dude. I have got razor wind. Is there a derp? <laughs> I'm definitely thinking they're kind of like a little bit of a like a little bit of a derp if they're forgetting the the orders their trainer just gave them after they had some orders from their trainer. They gotta be derping. Who's derping that hard? I don't actually even know. Uh, razor wind bird Pokemon from back and black and white. 
Skarmory is the only thing that I can think of off the top of my head. That's a basic, I right? I guess. It is a basic. I'll go with Skarmory. That's all I got. Razor Wind is throwing me off. Unfortunately, it is not Skarmory. And you might kick yourself for this one. Because you said all the right stuff. That it's the basic bird Pokemon from black and white. Derpy. Everyone in the comments definitely got this one when you said that. <laughs> because it is P-Dove. No, I don't think I would have got that. I didn't even know that P Dove was supposed to be a derp. But that would that is the derpiest of like the bird Pokemon. No, I feel look like at I think it, about bro. It. Yeah. Look at this guy. E Dove. <sighs> look at those big dumb eyes. Which one was it? The black and white one? Yeah, it is looking yeah, a little derpy. Crossed. Does not sitting up on the rooftop. A little bit of an airhead, it looks like for sure. Um, sitting up top of where? Which one is it? It's like oh, sitting on one. a brick wall it, yeah. or something. Yeah. Yeah, sitting on brick. Just sitting on. Yeah, sitting on. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I think it fits. Yeah, I definitely was not close to that at all. Um, <laughs> if you played the video games, you would have gotten that for sure. Is that a classic Pete of trope in the video games? Well, like, you know, ev well, no, but like you said, basic bird Pokemon from black oh, and white. Okay, like, okay, yeah. Every single generation has their like route one bird type Pokemon. <laughs> the route right? one. Yeah. That's and true. that was Pete of. All right. All right. Guess I play protect. I'm still behind Chip. Four points here. It's going to take a lot for me to catch up, I think. I'm, I'm more scared of you getting further ahead. That's, like, the scary part. I'm going to have to come up with some hard ones. I might have to start throwing some softballs to you, bud. <laughs> I, well, apparently you thought Pita was one of those. Um, not quite. Wait, what would you say the attack name on it was? Am I reading the wrong Pita? Razor Wind. You might be. From Hang Boundaries on. Crossed. Oh, now I see the... Wait. Yeah, now I see the right one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Razor Wind. Yeah. Rough. All right. Well, we'll move on. Another, uh, another guess that flavor text. Another Azul still behind at four points. But we had a couple. Actually, we had quite a few uh, big events this week. We don't have results from all. Once again, did this special event uh, in Buenos Aires actually happen? I see nothing about it. Zero. Is there anything on Pokey stats? <laughs> I just have seen zero on. Yeah. Did it wait? Was it supposed to happen this week? Or are we trolling? And I'm about to go like look up to like make sure it was even supposed to happen. I'm just looking on Twitter. I don't see anything. Uh <laughs> yeah, it was supposed to happen. Yeah. And in Buenos Aires in Argent yeah. In Argentina, TCG and VGC May twentieth. It's May twenty third. So it was supposed to happen. They actually have another special event coming up next weekend. This weekend. Am I trolling? This weekend, yeah. No, bro. Um Diego tweeted something. Hmm. Uh, yeah, special event champion, and it's a picture of his kid, I think. Oh, but it oh. was in the VGC. Oh, was it the VGC weekend, dude? No, it says Remember TCG there was one VGC. tournament. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah. yeah so Diego's TCG. like the biggest Argentinian player, so I went and looked at his Twitter, and he tweeted about it. So. <clears throat> yeah, that's uh. I haven't seen anything about it. There's no results here on Limitless, but we do have plenty of results for Malmo and Hartford. I think we can start with Malmo because we were already kind of talking about it a little bit. Fusion Mew, um, well, Mew in general, kind of dominated four of the top eight. Lost Box was three of the top eight, so Lost Box wasn't actually too far behind, uh, but it was Mew that was on top as there was two Mews in the finals over two Lost Box decks with Fusion Mew of all Mews uh, taking it all down. Yeah, and we'll get to it in a little bit, but Fusion Mew also won Hartford. So the yeah. fact that it won both major tournaments after, like, B 
being a deck that pretty much no one was talking about, no one was thinking was really that big. I mean, pretty much everyone, I think you assume when you see Mew VMAX on, um, when you see your opponents playing Mew VMAX, like you never are thinking to see Meloetta these days, right? It's like 5% or 10% of people playing uh, Mew are probably playing the Fusion Strike Energy build. Um, so kind of surprising to see both um winning the tournament but like Mew in general did really well at both tournaments right yeah. like we said four, four in top four of or top eight of uh malmo uh, including a mirror match in the finals and then three in top eight of hartford um and i think a big part of that is because the arceus decks overall were pretty popular this weekend arctina and then also arceus duraladon umbreon and I think like just Mew in general has a pretty good matchup against most of the Arceus decks and especially Fusion Mew has a pretty good matchup against the Arceus decks because it's not like if you go second against Arceus, you can just knock out their Arceus if you get there. Um, And if you go first, like even if they get the Trinity charge off, which they're not guaranteed to do, by the way, um, if they don't get the Trinity charge off, you basically like guaranteed win the game as Fusion Mew because you're almost always going to KO their Arceus with an energy and they're just going to be way too far behind if they do get off the trinity charge things maybe get a little bit more dicey a little more interesting depending on the build that they're playing but um yeah just mew in general has a solid arceus matchup and it's just a powerful consistent deck as well yeah fusion mew though i don't know i feel like fusion mew is not it's like you trade the little bit of consistency for just like more power i guess it's still pretty good though um and yeah, like uh, once again, don't know how to pronounce it. Lace, we'll go with lace. I think um, did play kind of like a more of a hybrid build. I feel like than what we saw from Roan over at Hartford, where it's like still two path, still two judge. Um, both played the Roxanne, um, and then yeah, has the fusion stuff in there as well. Meloetta and the Deoxys. Deoxys is a big thing to note there. Um, pretty decent attacker in the Lost Box matchup. Because uh, Cram can't want to KO it very efficiently and stuff like that. So you have the Deoxys to kind of play with in the early game in that situation. Uh, it can be good in other matchups as well, but I think Lost Box is where it hits the hardest. Um, so, yeah, a little bit more of a hybrid build between the two, trying to have the best of both worlds. And I mean, it worked out, right? First place, uh, overcoming the uh, more traditional build of Mew, I would assume, from uh, Consta. We don't have Consta's list here to take a look at. Um <clears throat> but we take a look at the couple of the uh, lost box lists here. We had uh, Brennan Cameraman with like the turbo, turbo, turbo build of lost box, like not just stops and four seal stones and vacuums, but also trekking shoes. Yeah, the trekking Three shoes has been stone. an interesting thing to see in lost box lists, like popping up more and more uh, in these like more turbo builds. Um, I mean, with the loss of a, of scoop up net, right? Just having you. It's kind of like a scoop up net, right? Because like scoop up net gets you two more cards off the top that you get to look at, right? Trekking yeah. shoes like kind of does that. Not really <laughs> though. I mean, it doesn't feel your loss zone, obviously, but it's just helping you get through your deck a little bit more. Which when you're playing this version of the deck, that's really all in on trying to attack as quick as possible um, with your powerful V Pokemon for whatever the the matchup is. I think it makes sense. Yeah. I haven't played with it personally. I don't know, like, if I think it's, like, amazing, but I think it makes sense. Like, I could see why someone would play it. And obviously, like, I think to get top four in the tournament, um, Brennan, you know, tested and <laughs> gave some time and thought to this. So I think C 
seeing that a really good player came to that conclusion makes it makes sense that it's it's pretty solid, right? Yeah, it might just be the better way to play. Like if you're gonna commit to like no Kyogre and no like single prize, like if you're not gonna go the single prize route or the Kyogre route, maybe just committing a little bit further down the route of the turbo is just the way to go, right? Like maybe you're just like kind of like doing like the half committal of like not getting the truck and choosing there, maybe playing beach courts over Pokestops, you know, not coming to like three vacuum, three, four seal stone. Like maybe if you, when you full commit, you know, the deck just does become that much stronger overall. Um, Cause you don't have like the power of uh, the Kyogre in the late game uh, one way or the other. And then you don't have the kind of efficiency of only playing one prize. I guess the one prize are built also play Kyogre. So it's like, you're having Kyogre no matter what, but you're like losing out on something there. Right. So mm-hmm. yeah, maybe just like leaning a little bit more into the turbo aspect of it all is like the better way to go to actually just, yeah, those extra percentage points. Um, so yeah, definitely an interesting list. We've been seeing it a little bit. Like I said, yeah, we've seen it a little bit. Uh, definitely have seen it in Japan before. I've seen it more now as Brennan gets that that top four. Uh, Piotr. And then the other, oh, the other, ahead. yeah. Oh, sorry. I, yeah, I don't know what you're showing on the screen, but like, yeah, the <laughs> other two um, Lost Box lists. Like, all, all three of the Lost Box lists are pretty different. And Piotr is here uh, having Zamazenta and Kyogre, something we haven't seen too much of, really. The Zamazenta yeah. in the post-rotation format, right? Yeah, usually when we see these kind of single prize builds, it's like Snorlax or Snorlax and Baby Moltres. We haven't seen the Zamazenta yeah. yet kind of make its appearance, but we're seeing it here a little bit less efficient than Snorlax, but you're hitting for bigger numbers when you are able to pull it off with the Retaliate. Also has the Roxanne in here, tech for the mirror most likely, right? Yeah. That's the Roxanne for some comeback. Echoing Horn is good in all the matchups, especially combos with Kyogre, so nothing too special here, to be honest. Just kind of a different take on kind of a Kyogre build, going the one prize route. Uh, and then the really like the biggest thing that stands out here is like the one prize or attacker of choice in the Zamacenta. Yeah. And then moving on to the Radiant Charizard version. Um, I'll leave it mostly to you to talk about this one if you want, since you you have definitely more experience with this deck than me. You played it at EUIC. This one's looking a little different here with the Drapion V. You didn't have the Drapion, right? Uh, <laughs> pretty much everyone's moved away from the Mawile, which I think seems correct. Uh, all the Lugias, it feels like, are playing Penny right now, What's and that's really the matchup where it's best. And uh, Gardevoir like, is the other option, and a lot of them still have Penny too. Yeah, yeah. So the Mawile package I don't think makes a whole ton of sense anymore, and I like uh, that they also cut... Because I think also if you don't play the Mawile, I think the Pidgeotto... Plus four seal stone package is cool, but you shouldn't play it if you don't have Mawile in there. I think it just kind of eats yeah. up space. Like you have to go way too far to your way to make that work consistently. Um, so yeah, I like the choice belt in there. It's kind of become standard to see the Roxanne, Raihan, and Boss's orders there over the cross switchers. No cross switchers. Choice belt I think was a pretty uh, big inclusion this weekend just because of the potential for the increase in like Lugia decks. I don't know how popular Lugia was over in uh, Europe. I think it was still fairly popular like it was over here at. Uh, Did still Earth have four. VIP pass, and that's something I've actually seen some Sablezards lists moving away from. They're just going to four Nest Ball, four Fog Crystal. Yeah. Um, I don't know. If, do you have strong opinions about VIP pass and Sablezards specifically? I know you obviously still really think they're optimal in regular, like Kyogre Lost Box and probably Turbo Box as well. What about Sablezard, a, a little bit slower of a deck normally? I could see cutting them. You'd also probably want to include some level balls alongside the Nest Balls and Fog Crystals. The thing is, the problem with this deck though is just because you don't have Greninja, you don't have a way to like generate cards. So if you play a card and it gets you just one card that you didn't really like, you're not generating extra cards to work with. You're literally just playing off of the same seven cards you had to like start with. And it slowly becomes less and less as you like put more cards in play. Um, so like doing those battle VIP pass on those early turns allows you to like to generate cards up for those early turns. Of course, once like judges and stuff gets involved, it doesn't really matter one way or the other. So I think it's definitely worth testing to go like down the route of, because Fall Crystal is definitely the most efficient and most powerful Pokemon search card slash item card in the deck. So I think it's definitely reasonable to like, uh, go down the route of potentially like 
triple uh, or, or quad dust ball, quad fog crystal, and then put some level balls in there as well, just to find the comfies in the early game. Plus, it finds you your Manaphy, Halucha, and Sableye, so they're not like dead cards, and the nest balls get you kind of everything else you'd need uh, at some point. But you don't have those dead cards in your deck, you know, on later turns following up. So I could see that actually being like the correct way to probably handle. It. But I would definitely play more than just four nest ball, four fog. I would definitely get at least one or two level balls in there as well. It would be a cool thing to try out from uh, from this point for sure. But I think it's been pretty much established that. Cross switchers, uh, supporters are better than cross switchers. And then, yeah, Ryan, Roxanne, and Boss are all really good. I see the Magma Basin is here, which I think is a really uh, interesting inclusion. I don't know how how much I like it because I haven't really played with it too much. But, like, obviously, you can set up for some ridiculously powerful Charizard turns where you could even, like, Charizard with, like, three energy with, like, Raihan plus Magma Basin or something like that and do a really early Charizard, which can, like, can be just enough to set you up to win the game from there. And then the last standout here in top eight is Brian DeVries with the Gardevoir, the Lone Guardi, and the Lone Guardi on the weekend between the two tournaments making it into the top eight. Um, Yeah, just kind of continuing the trend that we saw from Portland that having a tough Lost Box matchup makes it really hard to see success with Gardevoir, right? Um, I think that is actually like so. One it thing- was still the second most popular deck in day two. We should yeah. mention this as well. Uh, we don't uh, we we don't have like the stats here on Limitless, but they did show one on the stream um, that Mu Max was like by far the most popular deck in day two, almost having two times as many of any other deck. There was nine Gardevoir in day two, and then sixteen Mu Max in day two of uh, Malmo. Yeah, so a lot of a lot of Gardevoir. I think one of the things with that as well, like. Um, if anyone saw my tier list before the tournament, I had Gardevoir in ABCD tier, I think. And I think I would still keep it there. But of course, whatever the best players play is always going to see a ton of success, even if it's potentially not the best play to pick in the tournament, right? So when you still have people mm-hmm. like Brian DeVries and Tord picking up Gardevoir, they're probably going to be in day two. Uh, and there's definitely like a shot that one of them makes top eight or even wins the tournament. And it wouldn't be that big of a surprise, right? So um, I do think the f- the field is pretty hostile towards Gardevoir still. And I definitely don't recommend it moving forwards. But like, yeah. Actually, interesting enough, looking at Brian's uh, Pokestats live page, he played against three Lost Box in the tournament. You got any guesses on his record? 3-0? 3-0. Yeah, I think like that's the only reason you bring it up. <laughs> Uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, collapse plus plenty. Like there are outs that it's not like the it's not like a it's not one of those matchups where you sit down and you're just like kind of miserable the whole time. You definitely play a game against Lost Box as Guardy, right? The game gets played. Um, I just feel like you know, sixty percent of the time, Lost Box is winning. When it's twenty percent of the meta, it makes it tough to want to play it. Especially like uh, another flip side that is like a lot of good players choose to play Lost Box. At least here in the in the U.S., it might be a little bit different over in Europe though. Like I said, if a lot of these Europe, top European players are picking up Guardy, there was like not a single top uh, U.S. player playing. Gardevoir, I think. I can't name one. I don't remember off the top of my head, to be honest. I mean, I'm sure there was, but... Um, there might not have been. At least. I mean, it's possible, right? Yeah. It's possible. I'm not 100% sure. I mean, we could even look at the day two results, which is where we're going next, I think, right? Yeah, um, go ahead. Is, uh, let's take a look at Hartford results. I'm actually just going to immediately jump down. I'm curious where the highest placing Gardevoir player was. And it was 36? Hamza? No, no yeah, Hamza with uh, 27th. I actually lost to Hamza in day one. Bruh, what box, were you playing so. again? What were you playing again? Huh? <laughs> <laughs> I played pretty poorly in that set, though. I think I had both games locked poorly. up. But if I had played, if I had one game one, who knows how game two actually goes, of course. But um, definitely one of the sets where I had played a, a little bit questionably. But yeah, I'm looking down the list of names here. Um, I guess Simon Trottier, that's a name that always stands out to me. 
uh, did choose to play guard for. So I'm going to usually bring yeah, some pretty Christian spicy stuff. Ortiz with the Palkia Gardevoir deck. Yeah, that's that's different. Now we're cooking. <laughs> <laughs> definitely a deck I actually kind of want to take a look at maybe this week on on stream. That's a wild uh, but Yeah, Gardevoir had definitely a way worse showing in uh, America here at Hartford. But of course, like I said, one of the factors is always going to be what the top players choose to play. Very few, if any, top players. Um, like I said, the only name that stood out to me there was Simon, who was playing the the Gardevoir, so very few were rocking it. So, of course, the decks that the best players choose to play is always going to have a heavy influence on um, what ends up doing well overall. Not always what's going to win the tournament, of course. You always have players who show up with their first regional um, or, you know, they're not a household name yet, but they can walk away with top eights and dubs and all that fun stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and this top cut wasn't too different than... Well, there's a couple things that stand out here when we compare this to Mamo. The Lugias and then, of course, the Arcturaladon, Umbreon, not just in top eight, but there's one in top eight, there's one in ninth place, there's one in 14th place, uh, and then there's one in 16th place. So four of them uh, actually overall in the top 16. I remember it was like round seven or eight, I think. I looked at like the top five tables. I said it on stream. It might have been the top four tables. I think it was the top four tables. Um, and I think it was round seven or eight of Swiss in day one. At the top four tables, five of the players, five of the eight players were playing the Arc Duraladon Umbreon deck. So like, I mean... <laughs> This deck was a big part of the meta and not just like there are decks that like um, don't have a huge meta share. But like as you are winning through the tournament, like yeah, their success rate is high, their success rate is high. And that was it definitely felt like this deck for the majority of the tournament, even like the early rounds of day two, Arctura Umbreon was doing really well, yeah. but did kind of like in those last couple rounds seem to fall off a bit but uh, i mean that's probably another reason that gardevoir <laughs> did not do super well in in america because like i feel like umbreon is just super good against it right yeah actually another thing i noticed while looking at these uh standings is uh C- canada really showed out at this tournament not not only just winning the whole I noticed thing that but too, yeah they had nine of the top uh a four of the top nine slots you got uh christopher down here at 11th um and then even estrada uh previous world champion and they got matthew wood down here uh 21st 23rd so canada really showed out at this event actually to be honest for for of course probably, the ratio of americans canadians it's that's pretty impressive probably it's proximity to connecticut right it's like a lot easier yeah a lot, probably a lot more to. canadian players there. but still the ratio is probably still pretty well, pretty course, against yeah. them overall um but yeah i mean once again first place won by rowan with the fusion mew and this list is definitely a little bit different a lot more yeah, on definitely the uh, different turbo we, side of things yeah, we've got the four trekking shoes in here. Um, also, the stadiums are different between the two lists. I do like that Rowan has the three forest seal stone, just boosting the consistency a little bit more. Trekking shoes, I think, makes sense in Fusion Mew, right? Um, just like extra, de- like Rot- Rotom Phone was pretty good in Fusion Mew, right? A better than Fusion Mew than it was in like regular Mew, and we don't have that anymore. So just giving you a way to see a little bit more seems solid, right? Yeah, see a little bit more. You're effectively just playing less cards in your deck, right? So, and when you're Absolutely just trying to pull no off... Absolutely no disruption besides the Roxanne, though. Lass yeah. in Malmo did have a couple Judge still in the deck. Yeah, so like I, I said, think, like... like no disruption is probably the way to go with Fusion Mew. Like, I would probably lean besides more towards Roxanne. this list. Yeah, besides Roxanne. You always got to play Roxanne, I think. Yeah, that's what I was saying. Last went more for of a, a kind of a hybrid build, which you actually saw... I believe uh, David, I don't remember their last name, played at OCIC and got top 16, where it was basically quad path judge mew with meloetta 
uh, in it. So that's basically effectively what their deck was. I believe they got top 16 at OCIC. So we've seen it before. It was kind of more of a hybrid build. This is definitely a more turbo build with like the panic button Roxanne at the end of the game. David Daritan. Right? Yeah. Bro, you don't remember David Daritan? No, I do. I don't remember the last name. Yeah, I played against okay, David okay. in the finals of, of the of league, the League Cup I won. The League oh. Cup? The Players, Players Cup? cup. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the Players Cup. Yeah, you, you, you'd never catch me at a League Cup. Duh. Bro, I ever go to a League Cup? Dude... <laughs> I had to cast that, and that was almost worse than Azul playing it, to be honest. Was uh, Azul's Urshifu, after making a run through the loser's bracket, playing a best of five bracket reset versus Picarom. <laughs> and six oh my God. It was just two and a half hours of Azul destroying this Picarom, dude. It yeah, was and I had like... all the text, too. I had the Mimikyu, I had the <laughs> oh Zigzag, like it was everything. <laughs> Um, um, I think did you drop a game? I don't even remember. No, I think I you might have like dropped. Right, I okay, threw. Maybe. I, I literally remember. had game on board. This is why I hate when people. Oh, like, I remember that too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I was gonna like talk about that in reference to something, but when people are like, I don't know, just like it's, you can just you can just misplay sometimes. Like misplays happen. It's like when people like get shocked that they throw. The reason people get shocked when they when they see like a good player or top player throw is because they just don't realize how much they're throwing in their games because they can't tell the difference between like getting unlucky or throwing so it's like but then yeah people always like freak out it's like how could you ever mess that up or miss that or whatever it's just like bro it happens all the time chill out it does happen all the time yeah <clears throat> um but yeah i mean lugia was like a way more prevalent at our tournament in um in hartford than it was over in malmo what do you think like the cause for that is it is weird there are stuff oh well, i would like to see the rest of the day two results from yeah Europe. was it was it really the... just lost box mew and guardy was that kind of it was that their whole of day pretty lugia much? was there were six lugia in day two which was 11 percent what do we have in uh uh we have uh yeah on, G right Granchen and uh reagan reagan running back with the exact same 60 14 percent sorry yeah and Granchen joining them so two of the exact same 60, uh, second place from Grant Shen and third place from Reagan Retzloff, back-to-back -back top eight, or I guess back-to-back -back top fours, whatever you want to call it, um, from Reagan. Another top eight from Grant Shen as well. Grant Shen has been making a ton of top eights alongside uh, Reagan. Yeah, both of them playing the exact same 60. The exact same 60 that Reagan just played to a second-place finish at uh, Portland. So pretty impressive stuff there. Yeah, Lugia showing out. I think a lot of people are hyping up Lugia going into the event as well. Like, I was talking it up. I think you said you really liked it as well. And I don't think it's really going anywhere. I think the deck is still really good, really powerful. Um, and I expect it to kind of maintain its kind of top three position yeah. moving forward. I think, like, I do... I like Lugia for its power level, but like I think especially after just watching the games this weekend, man, like I don't think I would play it. It's not enjoyable to play at all. It's just not fun. There's so it's very like you play the hand you're dealt. There's like way <laughs> less plays that are like way less cool things you can do, even than like old Lugia. People like to talk about how that like deck was a simulator, right? There was like cool plays you could do. You had options yeah. with that deck, right? This deck is like do I flip heads or tails on my capturing aroma? Um, and that affects how I play my turn. Okay, boom. I got my Burnett to discard my guys. It's like, it just doesn't, it does what it does pretty consistently, I think. It's a little clunky sometimes, right? Um, but like, I think in a best two out of three, you're going to do what you want to do two out of the three games most of the time, right? Yeah. And you go look Pragalanch um, in the middle of a game sometimes. Like, sometimes you're, you just can calculate the board saying, be yeah. like, well, if I don't mill both their boss here, I actually just lose. So let's go for it, right? Um, <laughs> yeah that's happen. your that's the extent of your plays yeah so yeah there's not a ton of uh 
Yeah, the, 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 uh, yeah, the deck feels terrible to play. Um, and then, yeah, a couple lost boxes in the top eight as well. Uh, we had Daniel Tavilla with the the exact same 60 I actually played. Uh, Turbo slash Kyogre lost box build. Uh, the deck felt really good, to be honest. Um, uh, so this is the exact same 60 that I ran as well. I lo I tied my winning into top eight. So I'm, what if, what if, we're very close to having two of us in top eight. Fortunately, didn't work out. Um, the big Pretty changes... much everyone in the squad was doing really well, like up yeah. until like the last two rounds, like it, it, in like round 13 or something like that. Um, everyone except for Isaiah, who dropped because he uh, Isaiah Williams, because he dropped because he wasn't feeling good. You, Caleb, Danny and Grant, all four were like in top eight contention in yeah. round 14. Right. Yeah. Which doesn't happen that often, even if you guys all make day two. Usually it, it's not often that everyone from the testing group makes day two because someone usually like just one thing happens one thing or another the variance hits whatever it is someone doesn't make day two uh everyone made someone day trolls. two this time yeah <laughs> someone trolls right someone <laughs> throws whatever it could be but um this th th and then it's like you make it into day two okay someone has a bad day hits bad matchups two or three of the people are pushing for cut uh and this time it was like everyone was pushing for cut up until the last couple rounds yeah definitely it was a pretty good showing from from me and the squad. We only changed a couple couple cards from our Portland list. We got the fourth recycler in there over the boss, and then second Pokestop over the the beach court. We're trying to be a little bit more aggressive around the Kyogre play because we knew the Lugia matchup was going to be a lot more popular, and that's like a matchup where Kyogre is like essential. Um, and I think yeah. it did. I think our Lugia records. We actually, it's possible. No, we definitely lost to a Lugia or two, but our records against Lugia. Like I didn't lose to a Lugia. I know Caleb didn't lose to a Lugia, so our records against Dude, Lugia I was really really good. I watched Dan turn for Kyogre for the win against Ray Cipolletti in Swiss. Oh, yeah, Ray told me about like, that. <laughs> it was disgusting, dude. Oh, my gosh. Uh, Dan even said afterwards, he's like, dude, I'm not playing Lost Box. I'm playing Night March. <laughs> <laughs> Night March that can attack two Pokemon at once. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was so gross. Yeah, that's a pretty funny one. And then, uh, yeah, uh, we also had, uh, what did we have? Luke Smith with the classic, the I guess the the more go to way to play Mew, just really straightforward. The judge, the path, nothing special here really at all. To be honest, just like straightforward, consistent. Triple four seal stone. Yeah. You said you're a big fan of that. They're here. Um, they have the or uh, the Oracorio jam. Yeah, that's kind of the interesting thing. It's like I would say a little bit of like an outdated card. Most people are not playing it currently, yeah. but it is a pretty good card against Kyogre, right? And that's what definitely Luke is. hits in top eight, right? And uh, it's definitely a card that can make a difference. Yeah, it does sit on that match. I'm sure Luke had other reasons to play it as well besides that. Yeah. I don't know where it really Arctina, comes up. Arctina, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. Ar against Arctina. It does require Arctina. Actually, it makes it so Arctina just can't want to... You, you probably, honestly, just destroy Arctina with the Oracorio. <laughs> like, they can only beat you off Path Judge now. They actually just can't beat you in a straight-up back-and-forth like they normally can uh, kind of keep up with you. The Oracorio kind of, like, overtakes that. And Arctina was really popular, right? Arctex, like you mentioned in general. Um, we can take a look at one of these, the Ryan Harris. And actually, Ryan has a couple top eights this season. I think it was Ryan's second top eight this yeah, season got, had it top eight in san diego top, top four san diego top yeah four in san diego um with the arc dur umbreon this deck is like super cool by the way so if anyone's looking for something new and fresh to play this this is the deck right this is what you play like this deck is super cool obviously it can compete we saw it get top eight at portland and now we see it uh not just get a top eight from ryan i was actually really surprised that christian didn't get top eight i think christian was going into day two at like 801 or something ridiculous like christian was like first seed i'm pretty sure yeah um, we see christian here at ninth just barely not making it um of course there was only one 34 pointer to bubble in um and it was another mew here with the uh the ones again basic straightforward classic path judge mew um the go-to right now so um 
Yeah, but we see like right, a little bit further down, Arc Umbreons are just everywhere littered throughout here. But we don't see an Arctina for a little while, to be honest. And the Arctina's come up. The first one is Locke uh, at 26. Not, not enough people throwing for uh, Deloc in this one as Locke ends up at 26th place. Uh, but he's the highest place in Arctina here. They, there is quite a few the more you scroll down though so Archina definitely showed up like oh my gosh there's so much arc umbreon what the heck there's so much of them i'm told that's you a, that's a, so there's a lot yeah has if you statistics. if you separate arctina and arc umbreon um lost box well is still the most popular deck in day two and that's what we had on our graph but if you look at limitless nine yeah nine that, uh, six arctinas yeah. nine oh wait no there's more than that am i i gotta be trolling here yeah, hang on. I'll, I'll pull up the picture on my end and give the exact number. But um, there's an Arceus Galade in day two. Yeah, yeah, that's Five, a cool six, list. Seven, eight, um, nine, but yeah, so there was uh, there was sixteen Arc Dur and ten Arctina. So one there's of them was not Umbreon though. There's one of them was no 20... was no Umbreon. Okay, okay. So there was 25 Lost Box decks, but if you combine all the Arceus decks, there was 26 Arceus decks. So Arceus decks as a whole were more popular than any other archetype, even yeah. though the two Arceus decks that exist are pretty different from one another. Um, just the card in general was was really popular on the weekend, and maybe is part of why, you know, Mew was also so good on the weekend. Like, those two decks, those two things being true led to both of them finding success. Yeah, and I think, yeah, I mean, I think, I think, I don't want to think about that. Like, I think one thing that would be cool to see is, like, Lost Box. When we talk about Lost Box, I think it should be separated between two variants, Sablezard and then non-Sablezard. But honestly, it should be separated by three variants. It should be, be Sablezard, Kyogre, and then why the heck are you playing this build of Lost Box if you're not playing Kyogre? Um, and then uh, Arceus should be definitely, I mean, like, when we talk about Arceus, they definitely should talk about them in terms of Arctino and Arc the Arctur Umbreon, because they are so different, right? Like... <clears throat> I'm gonna suggest that they separate uh, Sable's Light. I've been meaning to. I just haven't done it, so I'm yeah, gonna suggest could, they do that. Yeah, it should be Lost Box Kyogre, Lost Box Sable's Art, and then Lost Box. Why? Why the I don't heck know if we're gonna break it down Kyogre? to three things. I think no, it's fine. To just, <laughs> no, I'm just memeing with that to, one. Yeah, yeah. I think it's fine to separate it by the Radiant Pokemon that is played. Right. Yeah, like, what I'm trying to say is, if you play Mirage Gate and you're not playing Kyogre, you're trolling. That's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> That's all I'm saying. Um, um but, I mean I think do you have anything arc, else you want to say about the day two meta? No, I'll just say seeing Arctur Umbreon do so is just really, really cool. That's it. And also yeah, yeah, yeah it's just really cool. Like, definitely so. a cool deck. And like Azul said, it's like the new fun thing to play, so definitely give it a try. Um and then we do need to talk about something that kind of came out after the tournament. This was definitely if you were on Pokemon Twitter after the tournament, this is all anyone was talking about. Not the results from the weekend, but um who our champion was and a situation around him. So Rowan Stavenow, of course, is the 2015 World Junior Division World Champion. So I mean, someone who's been around in the game for a long time. He gets his first statement win as a master, winning a super large regional championships. And then this video starts to surface on Twitter. We're not going to go into super big detail. You can find the video pretty easily if you want to on Twitter. But... Basically, what this video shows is Rowan having Rowan's friends shaving a uh, not a, a hate image into the side of his head, a, a hate symbol into the side of his head. Um, you know, something that's throughout history been used for very hateful reasons and even still today is used to to discriminate and to hate um we're not going to talk about the specifics of what it is and stuff like that if you know you know and most people probably can guess what it, what it is easy to find yeah. out yeah and this is like the uh, first time go... i've ever got to like be uh, yeah 
it's just not something we yeah it's fine but um yeah i mean i think that it should go without saying that azul and i i don't know i say it should go without saying but the like you know we see these things popping up more and more so it feels like they must be said right (laughs) um but yeah i mean azul and i totally um do not support any of those type of views and don't condone any of those type of actions as you know community members and i think it is correct for our community to stand up against those things and to call out those things and um that action should take place um and there was a lot of like really hard line takes and um i think rightfully so this is like you know similar to the oliver situation right like trying to find where the middle is of going after someone and stuff like that, you know, this is definitely like a a way more serious situation because it's bigger than just like cheating at the Pokemon TCG. Rowan didn't cheat at the tournament, right? But this is like something that's way bigger than that. Um, But then Rowan did come out and release his statement. Do you have it pulled up? Yeah. Were you going to read through it or? Um, You can. Yeah, we should probably just read through it. So Rowan did tweet out afterwards and say to all the members of the Pokemon community who have been hurt by the video of me that has been circulating. I am sorry. I understand why you are hurt. The so and so is not a symbol to be thrown around lightly. The symbol represents the death of millions of Jewish people, a horrible genocide and hate that persists to this day. The diversity and inclusivity of our Pokemon community are incredibly important to me, as is the very place where I found my own sense of belonging. Any form of hate has no place here. It truly pains me to know that a video featuring myself has made people feel unsafe and unwelcome in the Pokemon community. I have always strived to approach every new interaction within the Pokemon community as an opportunity to spread kindness and promote the game we all love. In the video, I was drunk and decided it was time to shave my head. I had been planning this. I told my friends they could make me look as stupid as they want before giving me a clean shave. In the video, you can hear me say, I can't see the side. Somebody take a picture. I truly did not know that was going to be shaved into my head and would never have allowed it if I knew. Immediately after learning what was drawn, I had my friends shave my head. I was truly disgusted and very uncomfortable with being associated with that symbol. I did not post any of these videos on any of my socials and felt gutted when I saw one of my friends had posted it. This was posted on Snapchat, by the way, and that's where everyone had the video from. This is all prior to the tournament as well. Yeah, prior to the tournament. I had told them this was not funny or a joke and have told them again. The seriousness of this situation cannot be overstated as it has not only tarnished a significant moment in my life, but also my reputation and many relationships I have built in the community. To all those who reached out to me with kind words or to hear my story, thank you. To all those who stood against anti-Semitism online, I thank you as well. Thanks for reading my story, Rowan. Yeah, so and I just like cleared up like why people why we why we are kind of uh, dancy around uh, some of the terms and stuff a little bit. It's just because I just don't know like how the TOS and stuff works on YouTube. But I know like there's some things you you say it on YouTube, you can get demonetized or struck or have your account suspended. Or, and yeah, stuff. they so can that's why like, we're, take the video down. And yeah, stuff, so that's why so. we're dancing around it a little bit for anyone who's just like uh, gonna call us out the comments, whatever. Uh, just so you know, that's why we're doing it. We just don't know how the full like I don't think anyone truly knows how it all works all the time. But um, better safe than sorry. We don't want to have to start a new podcast channel because we get banned for for whatever but uh yeah i think if you watch the video and then you read rowan's statement um i think rowan's statement is fairly reasonable to be what had happened um i think the biggest thing through all of this though is kind of the reaction from a lot of the people uh in general um kind of like 
<clears throat> I don't want to say preemptively defending Rowan, but kind of putting out their statements on the, kind of their opinions of the situation. I think it's really hard uh, to do that um, not being someone who is in, who is just, I mean, for the most part, Jewish, right? If you're not Jewish, I feel like you've never had, you haven't gone through that experience in your life of uh, experiencing what these uh, symbols and things people say can actually mean. So I think it's very important in these kind of situations to try and educate yourself on what that might be to uh, Jewish people, right, in this kind of scenario. Um, so I think there were some really good posts put out there um, by Michael Slutsky, uh, and I'm missing the other names off the top of my head here, but uh, Dream Jew on Twitter and uh, Grimsy, uh, who... Uh, made Pokestats live. Um, well, I don't remember their ads off the top of my head. Yeah, but... Azul tweeted. Um, yeah, go check. The, the three... I put them both out. On, I tweeted them all out on yeah. Twitter. Um, but I think it's really important to, and they all put out pretty lengthy posts, kind of um, going over what this happening in the Pokemon TCG community, or just kind of happening in general throughout their lives, uh, kind of uh, means to them. Um, and I think it's important to definitely take that into account before you kind of have like a strong uh, opinion or take on on these kind of things in a situation like I feel like as serious as this one. I think there's some other stuff out there where um, it's uh, I don't even know the word I'm looking for, but basically it's definitely worth it to go out of your way to educate yourself on how this makes certain people feel, especially when you don't have the lived experience of having to deal with what uh, what those people have had to deal with. You know, it's like it's very hard yeah. to. Just be able to put yourself in their shoes and be like, oh, this isn't as big of a deal as you're making it out to be. Like, you can't just do that with these kind of situations, I feel like. Yeah. So, I mean, I think rightfully so, the night after the tournament, everyone was pretty, like, heavily against all things Rowan and, like, calling out this situation and, you know, talking about it. It was like all anyone was talking about on Twitter, social media, group chats, whatever it was, discords. Uh, for like the whole night after the tournament, Rowan put out his statement the next morning, um, and it seems like most people like have overall accepted or I don't know. It's kind of still split. Obviously, it's not a situation that's ever taken lightly, right? And it shouldn't be. It definitely shouldn't be. But um, you know, if you believe Rowan's post and what he said, like that he had no idea that this is happening and stuff like that. I mean, it's like I can totally. And this is like it's not an acceptable thing, right? But I can totally see how a group of drunk friends would get together. We're shaving her head. What's the craziest thing we can put on his head? Oh, it's this. Haha, ha, this is so funny. But it's not right. They like it, it's it, you. Can, I think like. People can look at that situation like people in that situation, like people who are there in the moment thinking that this would be like a funny thing to do. Um, I'm not trying to downplay the severity of it. I, it's like not a good thing and it's like disgusting that someone would do it. Right. But, um, I think that's probably from their point of view where things were coming from. I, I, like I saw a lot of people saying like so-and-so who won our tournament is a blank. Right. And I don't think that's the case. Right. Uh, like, I don't know. Yeah, you can only go so far with some stuff, even if you think it's a joke. And I think this is definitely like crossed the yeah, line. And absolutely, um, I wouldn't be it's surprised if there is like uh, repercussions for Rowan or not. But I don't think that's overall what it's about at the end of the day. Whether or not there is, I think that kind of should be what it is. Um, but I think uh, the bigger thing to take away from this is just how 
people should should look at and react to these situations if they ever come up. Hopefully they don't come up in the future, but if they do, um, definitely I think there should be um, people should have a little bit more um, compassion and understanding of the. Uh, it, this isn't quite as as simple of a thing to kind of be like, oh, you're blowing something out of proportion. As as there is a lot of things on the internet where people do blow things out of proportion. This isn't one of those. So uh, I think it's correct for people to kind of take their time uh, with this situation or future situations like this to kind of educate themselves on uh, on what things truly mean to some people. Um, and if it's worth it to go out of your way to be like, um, you're making a big deal out of nothing. Yeah. And I said earlier on the podcast, like, I don't think um, any of the people who've been caught cheating on stream or whatever are going to get banned. I don't think they will, most likely. I would be way less surprised if something happened here for Rowan. Um, I don't know that it necessarily will. I don't know that it won't. Right. But like, I mean, it was all over online. Like people at Pokemon definitely know about it. They don't take these things lightly as they shouldn't. Right. Yeah. Um, so who knows what's going to happen? Yeah, I guess we'll have to wait and see on that. But um, I think that's going to do it uh, for, and once again, good opportunity for Pokemon to make a statement. But uh, if you don't got anything else to say to Chip, go ahead and uh, send us out. Yeah, thanks a bunch to everyone for listening to the podcast and showing your support, especially with, um, you know, a little bit of a weird in-between episode, a day late, we're traveling, it's not the normal setup, right? But thanks so much for the support as always and uh, if you do enjoy as always we would appreciate you um showing us that by leaving a rating a review on your favorite podcasting platform you can also drop a like or a comment here on the youtube channel all of those things go a long way in helping to support us also like every single one of our podcast episodes the last like five to seven or so has gotten over ten thousand views on the youtube channel which is incredible so thanks to for that support but we only have like five thousand subs if you're listening to the <laughs> if you're listening and you're at this point and you're not subscribed yet come on hit that subscribe button because we all know the truth bigger number better person help me and azul feel better by subscribing <laughs> to the podcast youtube channel yeah and uh if you want to stay connected <laughs> with us <laughs> the best place to do that is over on twitter where you can also help to Give us bigger numbers to make us feel better about ourselves. <laughs> Follow me at Chip Ritchie. Azul is at Azul underscore GG. And the podcast is at Uncommon underscore Energy. Yeah, appreciate the support as always. Uh, we'll catch you all next week at the normal time of uh, 7 a.m. Eastern on Tuesday. Peace.